myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello, and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, to wrap up Pride Month, it is episode 45 with my guest, Amber Rose Washington. She's an author and a trans female. We had a very long and lengthy discussion about LGBTQ and trans and congruency. It's an amazing episode. We talk about her fear of being authentic, and it's just an amazing story. I think everyone would benefit greatly from listening to this episode. I'm glad that we had such a long discussion. If you are hardcore religious... You may find some of it offensive, but that's just how I feel. I feel I'm not against religion in any way, shape, or form, but I'm also not afraid to say if we could do better, because I feel like we could all do better as a society, especially with people that we deem as outcasts and kind of push them aside. So let's get into this interview with Amber Rose Washington. All right, my guest is best-selling author, Hiding From Myself, a story by Amber Rose Washington, who is a transgender author, songwriter, music producer. She's a jack of all trades and has an amazing story on life and just overcoming her fear of being authentic. Amber, how are you doing today? Hi, how are you, Ryan? Thanks for having me. I'm doing wonderful. So I caught you in the midst of writing your new book. Hope- yes, living the dream here. I'm. I, I was. Uh, I was woken out of a sound sleep with an epiphany and, and started writing again at about three thirty a.m. and then looked at the clock. You know, a few hours later, and it was going on. It was getting closer to six a.m. and I said, "Oh God, I got to go back to bed." So, yeah, that's that. But that's my life. You know, what you, you got to write when it comes to you. You know. So what came first, like being an author or being a songwriter? I started writing music at about 13. And um, it was because when I was younger, I um, I kind of recl- reclused into my, my bedroom. And me- I found music to be something amazing uh, to transform my environment into whatever I wanted it to be. And... I was always drawn to music and oddly enough, ironically, I should say, I was deaf at five years old. I couldn't hear. And I had two operations at the children's hospital in New York city. Uh, I had malformed astatian tubes. I think they call them. And it wasn't tubes they put in my ears. It was like, they had to do these crazy surgeries to fix whatever that was. And what it was doing is it was blocking everything up and, if they didn't fix what they were fixing, I was going to be deaf forever. So they went ahead and did it. And lo and behold, I came out of that surgery with perfect pitch mm-hmm. and started writing music by the time I was 13. And then I, I kept writing and writing and writing. And then by the age of 19, I was in New York City for the first time all by myself. 
-hmm. And I went to a, a, this show of sorts for songwriters where you give your stuff to the producers and we all know the producers don't mm-hmm. listen to this stuff. Right. And I'm, I'm trying to get a bagel. That's what we do in New York. We eat bagels. Right. So I go, I go to the table to get a bagel in the morning and this older lady walks up to me and, and says, Oh, it's so hard to pick a good bagel. And I said, yeah, here, you can go first. I was trying to be polite to her. And she says, so where are you from? And I said, Oh, you wouldn't know. I'm from, I'm from the Catskills, uh, you know, Liberty, New York, where Dirty Dancing was, was the, you know, they based that movie on. And she goes, oh, my God, I go there all the time. And I'm like, oh. So we had ourselves a, you know, little 25-minute conversation, me and this lady. And at the end, she goes, you know something, dear? Why don't you give me one of your packets? And, and if I like it or not, I promise I'll give you a call on Monday. I didn't know who the hell she was. So I'm like, Oh God, I only got four of these things. I'm supposed to be giving them to the best producers in the world. And here I am giving it to the lady with the bagel, right? Mm -hmm. So right at that point, I handed it to her because I didn't want to embarrass her. I handed it to her and this girl taps her on the shoulder. The girl was wearing a headset mic and she goes, Ann, Ann, we got to get moving. Your keynote speech is in five minutes. We got to get you mic'd up. And I'm like, oh shit, who was I just talking to? So I go sit down and this guy that was sitting next to me says, how did you get Ann Rucker to take your packet? And I said, uh, um, she, she asked for mine. And he goes, get the, you know, and he said, you know, the F yeah. word, he said, get out of here. And, and I said, no, I'm serious. And he says, you got to be the luckiest person here. And just at that moment, the lights came up on the stage. There's over a thousand people in this ballroom at the Hilton in New York. And the guy from ASCAP comes out and he says, this person certainly needs no introduction, except for me, of course. <laughs> he goes, but I'm going to tell you anyway. She's worked with the likes of Barbra Streisand, Aretha Franklin, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Madonna, Sting, all these people. It was crazy. And then he says, she currently sits on the board of directors as the vice president of the Grammy Awards. Now I'm like completely shitting the bed, right? I'm like, oh, my God. And she also co-founded the Jazz uh, Foundation of America, which was a big thing for me because I wrote Smooth Jazz back then. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's like if, if, if God intervened in anything, this is what just happened to me because I just gave my stuff to the golden. I had the golden ticket that day, you know, and that's how I got into music business. And three weeks later, I'm in a recording studio in New York City watching them master Madonna's Like a Prayer album. Just me and the, the recording engineers. So, you know, I'm like, how sick and cool is this? You know, just this kid from, from Liberty, New York, where there's more deer than people. And here I am, you know, doing this. And all the while, I'm struggling with, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. And, and there's all this stuff going on, you know? strange it's got a yeah and and that may have you said it may have definitely seasoned your music just having that inner turmoil and just trying to put those thoughts down on paper it's got it had to be some fascinating lyrics oh i loved lyrics and and quite frankly so did Anne. when when i gave her my music she was really smitten by the lyrics that i was writing because they were so emotional and and she was really touched by it she goes you know anybody can write music to, you know, just the music bed, but there's something about the way you're putting words together that is just amazing. Have you ever thought about going into writing? <laughs> and thus, I'm an author, right? But the the interesting thing was that 
I never told her. She died about six years ago, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I always kept in touch with her. And people that knew Ann Ruckert in the music business all speak highly of her because she she was just one of those people that you could get along with. And she connected with you on a level most people can't do that. And she kind of knew, she kind of knew all along that I was not and that I was not presenting the way I really was. And she knew that she just didn't want to bother me with it. And it was one of the very few people on this planet back in the day that actually got that because let's face it, I was four years old when I came out to my mom, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't, there was, I didn't know the nomenclature. Yeah. Hell, I didn't know the difference in anatomy be between a boy and a girl, but I knew I wasn't a boy because I saw my sister growing her hair out. She had this beautiful canopy bed. She had Holly Hobby, which was this big doll with a, with a bonnet on her head as wallpaper. And I loved all of that. And she was in ballet and I wanted to be in ballet, but for some reason I was getting crew cuts and I was, you know, being forced to go outside and play in the mud with these filthy boys and, and do all these other things. And none of it made sense to me. Like my brain wouldn't, mm -hmm. I just couldn't make sense, but I didn't understand gender stereotypes at that age. I didn't understand anatomy, but I knew I was not a little boy. So I told my mom at four years old, I was raised Catholic, by the way. So, you know, I, I, I'm religiously agnostic right now. I'm just going to put that on the yeah. table for everyone. I'm a spiritual woman, but I'm not religious, right? So I'm sitting there at the bed. Picture this. I'm kneeling at the bed. I got my hands up in the air, you know, you know, together, and we're finishing the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. <laughs> right? She goes, oh, that's wonderful. Now say your own prayer to God. I said, what? Say your own prayer to God. Like, talk to God. And I looked at my mom, and my mom had to tell me some of this. And she said, what you did next is you were sort of perplexed. You didn't know what to say, so I helped you. I said, think about God like you would think about me and ask for anything in the world that you want. I said, really? She goes, yeah. So I said, okay. So I leaned into the bed and I said, God, please fix me by the morning. And my mom goes, oh, honey, what's the matter? And uh, do, do you feel sick? And she puts her hand to my forehead and says, why don't we lay down? Let's see what's going on. I said, mom, I'm not sick. And she goes, well, what's the matter? Why would you say that? What, 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 is, what, what does God have to fix in you? You're perfect. I started crying right then and there. And my mom said, oh, honey. And she hugs me. And she says, tell me what's the matter. What's bothering you? And my mom was so emotional. She started crying too, right? Yeah. And I said, mom, am I a boy and a girl? She goes, oh, honey, why would you say that? No, you're just my handsome little boy. And everything from that point forward turned into, you remember Charlie Brown, the mm -hmm. peanuts, how the adults used to talk? Mm -hmm. Turned into the wah, 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 because she goes, you're just my handsome little boy. And, you know, everything, wah, 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 everything went into yeah. that wah, wah, wah at that point because she destroyed my life at that moment, right? I was expecting her to say Oh, no, honey, you're just a girl, but something happened at birth, and we've got to do things just a little differently for now, but everything will be okay. And and just her saying you're a little boy, handsome little boy at that, it, it really screwed with me. And I was, I cried even harder. And I said, she goes, why would you say that? I said, 
So I told her the whole thing I was going through, like I wanted to grow my hair out like my sister. I wanted a canopy bed. I wanted all this stuff. And, and she goes, oh, all right, let me explain this to you. Lay down, honey. Sometimes kids get confused and, and they go through phases. I think maybe you're going through a phase because being a child can be very confusing sometimes. But I promise you, everything's going to be okay. Now, when you hear those words from your from your mom or your dad, mm-hmm. you're four years old, that's gospel. So if your mom says you're going to be okay, that's the only person in the world you trust anyway. So you're obviously going to be okay. Yeah. So I laid down. She kissed me on the forehead. She tucked me in, and I was I went to sleep thinking, oh, I'm going to be okay. All right, I'm a boy. Huh. Interesting. All right, but I'm going to be okay. And then over the next few days, weeks, months, even a year, things got exponentially worse, like way worse. Because then I started in, encountering, you know, grade school and kindergarten. I was deaf all through kindergarten. I was deaf. I had ear operations and I missed half that year of school and got my hearing back. Everything all of a sudden is so loud that if you whisper, it hurt me. And I started getting bullied in school. I was going to ask that. (laughs) Kids were seeing that I was just this, I wasn't this type A, you know, alpha male sort of, I wasn't projecting anything like that. In fact, in kindergarten, I still remember this. We would line up back in the day. I don't know if they did this in the 80s, but in the 70s, they did this, right? So we would line up in the hallway and boys would be on the, let me get this right. Boys would be on the right. Girls would be on the left. And we would sort of make two lines, boys and girls, and go to the lunchroom, or we would go to the library for story time. And so she would line us up. So Miss Lipkowitz would line us up. I still remember her name. And I'd go into the hallway and naturally just go straight into the girl's line. Mm-hmm. I just, I didn't think about it. I didn't like, I wasn't doing things on purpose. I would just go into the girl's line and she would grab my shoulders and move me over to the boys' line. She thought I was just being, you know, quote, unquote, a smartass little yeah. kid. But the reality was, is that was, that's that's the way my brain was telling me. And it wasn't until I was an adult that we actually learned that there's a physical process that yeah. happens with this. Because my whole life I was, I was told, oh, you're just mental, you know. And, and we come to find out that has absolutely nothing to do with any of this. And um, if, if. If that were the case, I wouldn't have been as successful as I am. And listen, we have people that are transgender that are attorneys, police officers, military officials, um, uh, people in high office, surgeons, you know, all sorts of physicians and every every profession you could possibly imagine. Right. And but yet they 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 relegate us to this Mm -hmm. this mental disease of sorts. And I think that's very offensive. And it. It's not their fault. It's the American Psychiatric Association and the DSM, because the DSM, uh, which which actually explains all the different mental health issues, described us as gender identity disorder, then something called gender dysphoria, and outlined that as a, a mental illness. Yeah. But when you look at the where it sits in the mental illness spectrum, this is where it gets interesting to all those people that have a prejudice about this. When you think about that, it's falling in line with the same level as people with anxiety disorder or depression. 
Think about that for a minute because there's 66 million Americans that suffer from anxiety and or depression. So if you're going to say something like that derogatory towards somebody that's trans, you're really offending 66 million Americans at that point, at that level. And probably right? growing. And, and Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the American Psychiatric Association just, you know, conveniently enough, a few weeks ago, just took, completely took all of anything dealing with transgender issues and, and gender dysphoria out of their DSM. It has nothing to do, they now completely and unequivocally understand this has nothing to do with some sort of mental issue. And um, in fact, you don't even need gender dysphoria to be transgender, which blows a lot of people's minds, right? Yeah. But what I try to do is try to teach people, well, what is it in the first place? You know, what, what is, what, what the hell is this thing that you're dealing with? And what people don't understand, and this is going to help some of your listeners, I hope, I hope, um, when you think about this word transgender, what we're really talking about is something called incongruity. And the way I like to explain it to people is, you know, little infants that are born with leukemia or congenital heart defects, we accept that people born with autism, we accept all these things, don't we? As birth anomalies, just shit that goes wrong, yeah. you know, in, in, in utero that, that something happens and, you know, that perfect, you know, set of circumstances doesn't happen perfectly. And we end up with a child with leukemia, for example, we don't know why that little child gets leukemia. Doctors are still scratching their heads as to why Johnny got leukemia, but Jeremy over here didn't. And why did little Susie just die from it? But Johnny survived. It's, it's confusing to doctors to this very day. Now let's enter, you know, incongruity or transgender. During the first trimester, we all know that the human body differentiates along with the reproductive organs, right? Mm -hmm. So people love to attach sex and gender to your genitals, right? You know, you heard it, if you remember that movie um, that Arnold Schwarzenegger was in way back in the day. Um, oh my God, what was the name of it? Uh, where he was a school teacher, a kindergarten teacher. Oh, kindergarten um, cop? Kindergarten cop, yeah. And the little, the little boy stands up and, and says, girls, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina, right? There's that, that sort of stereotypical, you know, statement that came out. And that's what happens in the first trimester of pregnancy. You know, and that's, that's done. If you study genomics, you can understand why that happens and how through genomics, you understand that's only a tiny little piece of the process that makes us human and makes us who we are. Well, in the second trimester, the, the human brain actually differentiates physically. And what we know now is that in natal females, the cortical region of the brain, which is responsible for our self-awareness, our, 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 our innate sense of self, that's where that's born, right? That you innately know you're a male or a female, that you're attracted to boys or attracted to girls or whatever, what, all those different processes that happen happen from that, that region of the brain. And in females, interestingly enough, the cortical region develops and there's a thick lining around it that they've, they've seen. In males, it's very thin, okay? So 
for one reason or another, they're finding with transgender individuals, whether you're assigned male at birth or female at birth, it happens in both directions, right? Mm -hmm. So what they find is that the people that are transgender actually more closely resemble the brain of the gender they're identifying with than what they're presenting as. In other words, the characteristics of the brain for me, are what you would call female. Even though they say there is no male or female brain, there are regions of the brain that are absolutely connected that way. Otherwise, you just can't explain humanity. I mean, you're a comedian, so I mean, you must you must touch on the subject of, you know, guys, we don't understand women. And women, you don't understand us guys. And, you know, you hear that all the time on stage, right? And there's a reason for that. It's because our brains are like completely different. It's not about mommy teaching teaching Jamie to to do things different than than Jeremy over here. It's not a nurture thing. There's something innately different about females than there is males. So that being said, people like myself rejected that. Thus, we get born incongruent. 0.7%. 0.7% of the human population is actually born incongruent. 99.3% of the population is born congruent, which means you can't tell me, and, and I'm, I'm making a huge assumption, by the way, with you, right? Feel but you can't, you can't tell me a single time in your life where you actually had a conscious thought and said, gee willikers, I wonder why I'm a boy and not a girl. That didn't cross your mind because when you're congruent, you really don't have those things because everything is, that's where the word cisgender comes yeah. from, on the same side of. But with transgender people, it's no longer subconscious. It becomes the conscious, painful thing that sort of pokes at you each and every day because, you know, I tell people to try to let them understand because they said, you know, they say things about, oh, you feel this way, you feel that way. No, it's not a feeling. You don't feel male. And Shania Twain, whether she likes it or not, she never felt like a woman because what the hell does that even mean, right? Yeah. So what it is, is it's an innate sense of self, of being, right? It's not a feeling. So I tell people all the time, I said, there's never been a time in my life that I felt like a girl. I never once felt female. Here's the way I say it. I knew I was a girl and I knew I was female. There's a huge difference between those two two sentences, right? So that's what I do to try to teach people at least on a rudimentary level yeah. what what we what we are, yeah. you know. It's it's definitely in some nature, but what makes it hard is is people is when your par- like you were really talking about your mom and stuff is that parents sometimes try to solve it with nurture. And and that can become such a it's a it's a painful thing because you this is your that's your number one support that is your the foundation of who you are is based on your parents and when your parents are always just trying you know making you know not saying it's wrong but nurturing you to not do it instead you know like it's a phase like the it's a phase thing is you know it always you know it it kind of it kind of hurts because it's like you know you're now you're looking for the end of the phase like okay so it's just a phase i should i'll be out of this tomorrow or you know next month it'll be gone and and everything will be fine everybody will be happy and that phase just never it's never ends and you're just you're just sitting here being told it's just a phase 
And that's such a wonderful comment you just made because it's it's so true. I mean, you're really on top of this. That's 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 a, one of the most eloquently said things. Uh, it, it was such a simple statement, but eloquent because it's true. It's too many times, it's called projection. By the way, our parents mm-hmm. love. All parents, all of us, love to project on our children what we we think they should be and what you know how they should act and all this other stuff. But on another level, people think that this is an ideology. No, religion is an ideology. A political stance is an ideology. I'm just part of the very, very diverse human condition. I was born a certain way, just like that kid that was born with leukemia or a congenital heart defect or one of the 100,000 other birth anomalies that exist. I'm just another one of those people. But for some reason, since we've attached sex and or gender to this, you suddenly get diarrhea of the brain. You know, you can't, for some reason, you get completely disconnected and you get cognitive dissonance over, over how to deal with this because for some reason, you know, leukemia, autism, you know, congenital heart defect, cleft palate, conjoined twins, all these different things that happen in the human condition that make us all unique. Suddenly that's, well, you're talking about sex and stuff. So that's really not on the table. You're not allowed to do that because God says so. God, 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 God. And God never said any of this stuff. And, and you know, whether there's a God or not, I'm not going to be the, the decider of that. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now that, you know, people need to understand that this is not an ideology. A parent or anyone else can't teach someone to be transgender and you can't teach someone to be gay and you can't teach someone to be ungay and you can't teach somebody to be untransgender. I mean, these, 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 I got to call them what they are, complete wackadoodles like Ben Shapiro. God, I would love to argue with this person online or in person, I I would chew him out, chew him up and and spit him out because he's just so full of baloney with just about everything he says. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now that when you look at, at the people that, that look at this in a weird way and think it's an ideology, that's why we have 24 states in the United States where it's still legal to abuse children in these places called conversion camps. People that are gay or trans, they get sent to these religious conversion camps where they think they can actually convert you from what you are to something else. And you know what they do? They get these testimonials from people. Oh, this is hilarious. Yes, the church and Jesus Christ has saved me. I'm no longer a transgender person or I'm no longer guy. Mm -hmm. And it's so wonderful. My whole life has changed. Amen bullshit that's not how it works and you know you are you are you're obviously either an anomaly you know you are the exception not the rule or you're a plant Mm -hmm. you know that just does not happen across the board and we've seen suicides go through the roof once these people get into conversion you know yeah it's and it's one of those things of again wanting to wanting to to the foundation of your of who you are and trying to trying to make them happy because it's just a it's just a a tragic try it's a it's a it's it's a tragic kind of love because you want you they're so afraid of you being 
you know, you're projecting that you, we want you to fit in. We don't want you to have difficulties in life. And so they try, like you said, project, they try to project, okay, this is how you should be. And it just, and then, so you do things for that. You make concessions on who you are to try to make them happy. And it become, and it, it becomes those, it, those, those, ha, those testimonials of, you know, of just, okay, my mom and dad love me. I'm, I'm good now. Right. You know, it's, it's the, it's a people pleasing aspect almost. Yeah. And, it, and I, in my book, I call that assimilation and conformity. And what a lot of us did in the seventies and eighties is we assimilated and conformed to what society and or our families thought we should be rather than who we naturally were. So picture it this way in the 1950s, a lot of people went to Catholic school or other schools where it was taboo to be left-handed. In other words, the church said it was a sin to be left-handed, that Jesus Christ sits on the right-hand side of the Father. So, you know, the evil stuff comes from the left. And then that warped into left-handed people are just simply not as intelligent as right-handed people. So what we'll do is we'll tie your hand behind your back and we'll force you to right, right-hand it. You're going to eat right-handed. You're going to do this right-handed. And if you don't, the nun's going to come up and smack your hand and bruise you. And I remember my family telling me about these stories that used to happen in the 50s. And I was like, oh, my God. And so we do this. We In society, we repeat history over and over and over and over again because of that. And I assimilated. I mean, when I was, I knew I liked boys by the time I was eight years old. Now, that's called a double whammy. Mm -hmm. I was born incongruent, which talks about my gender identity, mm -hmm. which is way different than sexual orientation. Sexual orientation, gender identity. So sexual orientation is who am I attracted to? And then when you're old enough, who do I want to go to bed with? Mm -hmm. Gender identity is who am I? And when you're old enough, who do I want to go to bed as? with and as. So that's the way I like to explain those two properties because they're so different. So my double whammy was, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. And if you think I'm a boy still at this point, then you have a warped version of what you think a boy is. Yeah. And then my sexual, my sexual identity, you know, my, my orientation, I should say, well, that gets complicated because people would say, Oh, so you were gay. No, I was never gay. I never thought of myself as gay my whole life. I was a heterosexual girl. I was just a little girl. Boys are cute. End of story. You know, that is that. Shut up. You know, I, you know I, I'm just like every other girl. I see boys. They're cute. I love them. I saw Grease when I was yeah. 10 years old. John Travolta was kicking my ass. I loved him. Olivia Newton-John was pretty, but it was only because I wanted to be just like her when I grew up. Right? And that's the thing is they're missing the point that you're not accepting that you're a boy. They're they're that when they say that when you're gay, they're just assuming, Oh, you've accepted you're a boy. So I have to get to, I ha that has to be phase one before we get to phase two of who I like. So, yeah. you, so I totally get where you're coming from is that people are trying to put the labels they know on it to try to understand it. And it's like, they had, they, they're, they're not thinking that far back is yeah. They had, they're trying to find the first answer to the question rather than the right answer, 
which yeah, it's kind of yeah. how I, that's how I write jokes is because and that's kind of how this podcast came about is like is I'm not trying to find the first answer of why I'm afraid of something. I'm trying to find the 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 long term, the deep down root of the situation versus the oh I'm just afraid of this and you know I can't I can't go out I can't do karaoke. I'm afraid of it. it what is the root of not being afraid of being on center stage when I can do it as a stand up comic, but I can't do it wow. as a as a karaoke. Yeah. And in fact, that shaped my whole life because starting from the age of seven, I was on stage. Right. So I remember I was in a string quartet and my job was to hold a triangle. (laughs) (laughs) I had a triangle. My only job in life was to hold this goddamn triangle in front of me and wait for the right part of the song. And we were performing at a university um, with, with a whole bunch of other acts that night. And here I was this little child. And I'm holding the triangle and it's hanging, it's dangling on a string. And I'm about 10 seconds before I have to, you know, do the little ding on the triangle and the triangle rope snaps. And in high definition, slow motion, this triangle falls towards the floor. And then at the very last second, it goes into real life and smashes against the floor and clanging and clicking and everything's going. I mean, the whole thing was a disaster. All right. And I remember the, the, the conductor, she looks over at me. She stops the quartet from playing. She's, she sees that I'm frozen. You know, my amygdala took over and I was, I had what's called amygdala hijacking at that point. I actually froze in place. I couldn't even bend over to get this thing. I'm staring out into the audience like, oh my God, the worst thing ever happened. And she comes over and picks it up, gives me a hug, looks at the audience. She goes, let's just give this young person a a nice round of applause. And you know what happened? Everybody stood up at a standing ovation. It was so amazing. And then she goes back after she hands it to me, she goes, just hold it like this and ding it like this. And, and she goes back and she looks at the audience again and says, who wants to see us try to do this again? And everybody started applauding again. So she taught me a valuable lesson that day. And that is, shit's going to go wrong when you're on stage and you've got to know how to handle it like a pro, like, this was meant to happen. And you know what? We're going to handle this with a little comic relief and a little bit of love. And we're going to, we're going to see this through and carry on like professionals, not like what happened in 2002 with Jamie Lynn Spears on Saturday night live, where she started singing the wrong song. (laughs) The, The track is playing, but she's singing the wrong lyrics. And then she sort of does this vaudeville style skipping off stage because she didn't know how to handle it. Right. So you know, it's, it's these little things that teach us stage fright. And I had a different type of stage fright when I was a kid, because number one, I ended up conforming and assimilating to what everybody thought I should be just like the rest of us do. Some of us join the, the Marines mm-hmm. and we bulk up, we, we sort of overcompensate, right? We want to be, you know, we don't want to be, but we have to fit in. So we become this uber masculine, masculine sort of person. I ended up being a voiceover artist. I had a very, extremely very deep voice. I had, if you remember Hal Douglas, mm-hmm. he was the guy that would do In a World, right? The, all the movie trailers. I had a voice like him. He was obviously a million times better than I could ever be. But I started doing national concert spots because I had that deep, rich voice that they wanted for these, these you know, coming to the arena on Saturday night sort of deals. And I did countless numbers of these all over the country. And 
people would listen to that now and they go, holy shit, who's that guy? And I said that. And I sort of like try to weasel my way out of it because, you know, I would do some of these gigs. I'd put the headphones on in the studio. They say, okay, here's your lines. And I do the lines and then I would leave. I drive home and on the way home, swear to God, I would start crying Mm -hmm. because it was so dysphoric for me to, I was earning a lot of money. Okay. Let's be honest here. I was, I was earning a lot of money for doing something so silly Mm -hmm. to me. It was silly. You know, here I was a songwriter and I'm doing voiceovers. Come on. And, but I was making a lot of money and I, and, but when I got home, I was in tears because it was so dysphoric. I was being the Uber masculine that I, I hated my whole life. You know, I just, it didn't jive with me. Well, just another roadblock and, in, in the kind of a hurdle, I guess you had to overcome too, is just, is having so many of the, of the, of the masculine traits that weren't, that didn't fit the brain. So you had like, it's like they put a woman's brain in a man's body and now, and it's hard to explain to people, you know, it, it just like anybody trap, just, you know, any of those movies like were like freaky Friday with Lindsay Lohan and, you know, where you have to try to convince the person that they're looking at. It's not the person you are. Yeah. Judging a book by its cover. I call that. And that's, that's a good point because you know, we we do struggle with that. And, and there is some truth to the whole I'm trapped in the wrong body sort of idea set, you know. I mean, obviously, you know, the umbrella that we call transgender, right, involves a lot of different disparate experiences. And, and the way that it manifests is different. It's sort of like a spectrum, like from ultraviolet to infrared and everything, all the billions of iterations in between. That's how complex the birthing process is and and what can go wrong during that and it's there's subtle differences between that however from my experience i ended up with with some incongruity issues that that to your point you know make made it i should say made it very difficult to um deal with when i was going through puberty because puberty for girls ends up starting a little younger and when they went through puberty. Here I was watching all of my girlfriends go through puberty and develop and change the way I wanted to change. And then all of a sudden, two years later, I'm changing the opposite direction. I'm getting hair all over the place. You know, my, my bone structure, my muscle structure, even my face, everything started changing the wrong way. And if I had access to puberty blockers back then, you bet your ass I would have been on that in a heartbeat. Little did I know that they've been used for 40 years now. It's funny that just in the news just now, all these states are lining up in succession. It's the usual suspects, of course. And they're lining up to to outlaw puberty blockers because we want to protect our children. They're not protecting children. They're hurting them, and they're actually setting them on a course, a collision course with suicide. We have the highest suicide rate for any demographic in the world is is transgender individuals. And, And by these people doing this because they don't, understand because we're we're such a small number of people Mm -hmm. they think they're protecting people they're actually doing the opposite of it and i'll give you a great example of this so if you're listening right now Mm -hmm. i'm going to pause for two seconds so that you can get your your wits about yourself and remember the following name kim k-i-m petras p-e-t-r-a-s remember the remember that name kim petras and then I want you to remember two songs in particular. One is called Icy, I-C-Y, 
and the other one is Heart to Break. Watch these two music videos. She is the actual spokesperson for why all transgender people don't want to go through that first puberty because she was 12 years old and put on puberty blockers until they could figure out how they would administer estrogen to her body. And later on, she would become the world's youngest person to get GCS, something that I went through as well, which is called vaginoplasty, right? Basically, I call it, we, you know, we take an Audi and turn it into an Innie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're all made of the same cells. That's what people get freaked out about. They don't understand that, you know, boy parts and girl parts are actually made of the same type of cells, you know, and they're just oriented differently, but it's the same types of cells. And um, she was, if you look at her and listen to her, you'll understand why judging a book by its cover is such a silly notion. Because if I didn't go through puberty the wrong way, my voice wouldn't have gotten lower like it did. It would have been naturally feminine and and or androgynous. My bone structure wouldn't have changed like it did. My muscle structure wouldn't have changed like it did. The facial hair, the body hair, all that shit I had to go through, the, the male pattern baldness sort of thing that happens to people that go through puberty that way. All of those facets in the deepening voice, all that stuff never exists these people so when you watch her videos you say wow she's gorgeous she has a better voice than ariana grande my god she's wonderful and she's a transgender girl you know and here's another piece of information people don't realize i know i talk a lot but here's another piece of information that people will find fascinating if you grew up in the 70s 80s or 90s if you look back at a roger moore movie it was a james bond movie called For for your eyes only the James Bond girl in that movie, her name was Carolyn Cossey. Tula is what her name was. Beautiful, six-foot-tall model from the UK. Beautiful woman. She, a year after the James Bond movie, did a Playboy spread. She was the first transgender, transsexual, to be in Playboy. She was also the Bond girl that all of the guys fell in love with from that movie. I remember... I remember everybody seeing that movie and they were just completely smitten by her. They loved, loved, loved her. They had no effing clue that she was transgender. She was lucky enough back in the day to transition as a teenager. Mm -hmm. So she got very lucky in that she didn't have to, she also didn't have to go through a lot of those, those horrible permanent damage Mm -hmm. things that we spend thousands of dollars and a lot of pain, pain that most people can't even imagine yeah. we go through just to get ourselves more congruent and to undo the permanent damage that that first puberty yeah. did for us, you know? Not even to mention the hormonal imbalance, like the just emotional, the brain chemistry of kind of that that whole transition because it's got to, you know, to to give you that kind of estrogen while you have testosterone still swimming in the system has got to be kind of a... No, here's, this is the part that a lot of people mis, misinterpret too. When I was in, when I was in my early twenties, I started self-medicating with hormones, okay. right? I already had, I could, I could go toe to toe with anybody with a master's degree in endocrinology by the time I was 15, because I, instead of playing baseball with the boys, I was in the public library reading up on the endocrine system and hormones and everything else, because I knew I was dog shit clear that by the time I was 16, I would be on an airplane to Bangkok, Thailand to have a sex change. That's what they called it back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 
So I was going to go to this place called Bangkok. I had no friggin' idea what that was. And I said to the librarian, how do you get to Bangkok? She goes, honey, why would you ever want to go to Bangkok? I said, oh, it's for a school project. Oh, go down to the, go down to the travel agency. We used to have these things called travel agencies. <laughs> and I went down there and they said, you need a passport to get there. I said, what's a passport? Could you imagine the conversation? Picture this, right? I'm sitting there in the living room with my parents. Mom, dad, can you get me a passport? Oh, honey, why do you want a passport? Well, I want to run away from home and go to Bangkok, Thailand and get a sex change. I don't think that would have went over very well. You know, even though they knew, it just wouldn't have gone over very well. So, you know, when you think yeah. about hormones, there's something called spironolactone that I had to take. Spironolactone gets rid of testosterone, but it's really used for congenital, I mean, used for congestive heart failure. And they call it the water pill because it's also for high blood pressure but it has this uncanny effect of, of diminishing testosterone in the body. When my testosterone lowered, it was like being freed from bondage. I cannot explain to you the euphoria that came over me, the absolute wonder of, oh my God, I feel like I'm free from prison. It, you have no idea. I mean, you know, there's people that, that fight with this thing called erectile dysfunction. And there's all these little pills that, that float around to try to fix that for people. I was the opposite of that, right? Mm -hmm. So as soon as it left my body, I started to flourish. And when they introduced the estrogen at that point, because you want to get the testosterone lower mm -hmm. before you introduce a lot of the estrogen. Otherwise, the estrogen sort of doesn't do much because the mm -hmm. testosterone kills it off. So once that happens, then beautiful things start to happen. Yes. There's some tragic things like your emotions and your, mm -hmm. you get a little cranky and, and all this other stuff. But for the most part, my second puberty, which 0.7% of the human population ever gets to experience, mm -hmm. was absolutely beautiful mm -hmm. and the way it should have gone, you know? So I'm fascinated when you, because you talk about the cortical region. I wonder if there's something with the way that you talk about the cortical, though, those hormones interact with that part of the brain. And for and if you're if you have a thin region, then the testosterone interacts, and I'm just one. I'm just wondering if there's something to that, so that when, like you said, as you go through that second puberty, it's like putting you know premium unleaded in your car and seeing it perform way better. It's like it's it's. I think yeah. I I don't mean to cut you off because you're absolutely right. I think part of it is psychosomatic because you've been waiting your whole life to be more congruent. Listen, there's no question. I'm always going to be a trans girl, right? I'm always going to be trans. I was born incongruent. You know, yes, my DNA structure from a reproductive standpoint was born XY instead of XX. But we got to be careful with that. And here's why. Because there's people that I, I've, as friends, two of them are quite famous, and I'm not going to say their names. They're born XY. That means assigned male at birth. But they, they don't assign people male at birth because of XY. Let's be honest. The reason people are assigned male at birth is because they see a little wanker down there. Yeah. That's, that's really what it was based upon, yeah. a genital. But I know people that have XY that have a uterus, mm -hmm. a penis, a prostate and one fallopian tube. Yeah. Interesting. How, how, how do you even navigate that? Then I, I have a second one that has a vagina 
right? A vagina, a, a little, what we call micro, right? They, they say micro. And, um, oh my God. And um, uh, part, of, part structures of, of ovaries. Mm-hmm. And that's XY. How do you define that? How do you, you know, how do you, if you're going to make everything about genitals, there's a lot of people that are born that exact way yeah. that don't fall into that other category of intersex the way you think they do. Because intersex is actually more than just XXY or, or these other things. There's actually people that are XX or XY that have a multitude of variations of genitalia um, on them, you know, and if you're going to go with the XX and XY, you know, I can blow away your argument and it, with yeah. lots of examples, you know, it could, but we could do it by the vowels. Like sometimes why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and quite frankly, you know, when you think about the hormones and how it affects the brain, you're right. Uh, part of it's psychosomatic and part of it is actually, I don't know how to explain it other chemical. than through my own experience. This chemical reaction that happens within your body is actually, you feel so much better. You feel more like yourself, but I, you know, make no mistake. I am a woman. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, I'm a woman. Second to that is I'm trans because trans doesn't define me. Right. Absolutely. My, my music that I write, the books that I write, the interactions that I have on the street, I don't walk around and say, hi everyone. I'm a trans woman. Yeah. No, I, I, that doesn't define me. It just happens to be the way I was born and, and, and it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm a woman first most, first and foremost, but I, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me that, you know, at this point I have to accept my life as it is. This is the way I was born. Sort of like a kid that was born without a left leg and has to get a prosthetic leg in order to be able to walk like everyone else. That happens a lot. I have to I have to come to that same conclusion in my life that I am never going to be fully congruent. I missed out on almost all of the rites of passage that my female friends went through from their first period. Mm-hmm. And, and when someone like myself goes to those people and says, oh, I'm left-handed and I would give my left arm mm-hmm. just to experience a period once. To, the, yeah. to know that I could actually be fertile and give birth. Yeah. And they said, oh, honey, you don't want to do that. It, periods are horrible, blah, blah, blah. And I, I try to teach them that that's very offensive because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're denying what I missed out on. Think about someone like yourself, a cisgender person, one of your friends that was born with a malformed uterus, which happens quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And that means she's infertile and she's never going to give birth to a child. And a lot of times they have to get a hysterectomy very, very young. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, they don't get a period either. Yeah. Would you say that sort of thing to your friend that, of course not. Then why do you think you can say it to me? I am no different than that girl that, that is infertile. My, my womanhood is, is that my, my physical brain and chemistry and 19, they've identified 19 different yeah. genetic markers that actually made me the way I am, 19 of them. That's why I am who I am. Just because you can't see it outwardly at first doesn't mean that you you have the right to to dismantle my humanity by saying something you wouldn't say to somebody else. Yeah. So I try to, you know, I try not to be too serious because I try not to take myself too seriously, but yeah. sometimes you really do need to, 
you really need to tell people the way it is. Yeah. You know? It's just hard because we're just taught, we're never taught to openly communicate. And so like sometimes I, I see, I could see that as somebody trying to be sympathetic and, and try to, and try to, you know, try to make you feel better about it by trying to tell you how the bad parts of the parts you're missing out versus, Oh, you wouldn't have liked to go on that party anyway. You know, they, it was it was just not fun. You know, it's one of those things where they they tell you they try to tell you the negatives of it so that it yeah. makes you feel better. And it's just it's not it's not the greatest communication sometimes. And sometimes people don't want to hear that even though they missed out on something that it was bad. It, they just they missed out and they just want you to say, you know, I you know, it's just be like, I'm sorry that you missed out rather than to try and diminish it because it's, it's that nurturing, you know, again, it's, that trying to nurture, but hurting by nurturing by, you know, Oh, I'll know how to make you feel better. I will, I'll tell you some more details that you missed out on that maybe are, you know, I see as negative, but it just, yeah. kind of, it's kind of like pouring more salt in the wound. Just like when you, your mom was like, it's a phase. It's a, it's kind of salt in the wound of, you just wanted your mom to say, it's going to be all right. And instead you got a long explanation that makes it, you know, that makes you feel like you did something wrong. Like you still feel like it's a phase. Like I'm in a, in, you know, I've done something wrong to start this phase. I've done, I'm, I'm doing something wrong is it's not so wrong that my parents are correcting me, but obviously it's wrong enough that my mom doesn't say it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you look at, at the way our society sort of deals with these sorts of things, they, they, they oftentimes will put, and it's unfortunate that they use some sort of religious dogma to explain who I am. Right. They, they think, you know, and in my book, I'm very, I'm very, I have chapter three is called losing my religion. And I, I studied theology because I wanted to know why I was so upset with, with how religion was treating me. So I read, you know, there's 4,200 religions. I've read nine different religious texts, right? From different religion. Most people can only name five or six religions tops, but there's 4,200 on the earth. Christianity has 33,000 denominations, right? So here you have Christianity, but yet they can't even communicate with one another properly because they have 33,000 different interpretations of it. Mm -hmm. And they sort of relegate people like myself to you're an abomination to God. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Well, just because it says so in the Bible. Oh, really? Where, where does it say so? It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. Oh, you shouldn't wear women's clothing and blah, blah, blah. Oh, it does, you know what? You're right. That evil part of the Bible does say that, but you know, they're talking about perversion, sexual perversion, I'm not a sexual pervert. Yeah. In fact, I can wear full-on military male garb all day long, and I'm still a woman. And how many times has your boyfriend given you his jacket when you're cold at night? Yeah. You're cross-dressing, aren't you? My version of cross-dressing, sweetheart, is when I was wearing a suit in boy mode. I like to call it boy mode. Um, when I was wearing a suit, I was cross-dressing. You know, clothing has absolutely zero to do with who I am. Yes. I don't look at, at, at who I am. I'm not defined by my clothing. Is it fun? Of course it is. But I'm not defined by that. That doesn't mean 
you know, oh, you're male or you're, you're female, stereotype, 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 stereotype. No, I, clothing has nothing to do with it. So therefore the Bible written by these middle-aged Middle Eastern men a couple thousand years ago, not by God for crying out loud, um, the, the cognitive dissonance with, with people that, that think the Bible was written by God is just insane. Mm -hmm. Even when you get into just Christianity itself with the Old Testament, the New Testament, King James, the New Testament, NIV, the New, the New Living Testament, all these different testaments, and you're saying to yourself, well, which one? And then, of course, your Southern Baptists are going to say, well, of course, the King James is the only one that you should read. And the Catholics are going to say, well, no, that's incorrect. We, yeah. we all know the NIV is the way to go, baby. And so they're, they're all sort of, you know, yeah. you know, meandering around with this stuff that was actually created in 325 AD by yeah. a man named Const Constantine, who decided that hey, I'm going to call together the first council of Nicaea to see which yeah. books are actually going to make it into the Bible yeah. in the first place. <laughs> and see, it's it's amazing, like, which testament people pull out to justify their narrative, too. It's like, because the New Testament is all is forgiven. Christ has died for your sins. So so if he's forgi if I'm forgiven, then why are you judging? Why are you giving me Old Testament judgment and telling me it's wrong if I'm going to be forgiven Yeah, at the end yeah, anyways? It, yeah, it's and, and the reason I brought this up is because I have a sore, I have a real sore tooth with with religion. Not just because, you know, people have so much religion shoved up there, you know what, that they they forgot how to be spiritual. I think yeah. spirituality is really important. Whether whether there's a god and he is all mythological in the patriarchy that we've created, right? Because God is a man, Jesus is a man. Because we say he, we engender yeah. everything in religion, and it's all based on the patriarchy. But you know, you know, possibly God is just light. God maybe is is some other type of entity that we're not familiar with because we can only see, you know, we live in a three-dimensional world. Therefore, we can only see from the third dimension down, which means the second and the first dimension, right? In other words, like if you see, if someone holds a ball up to yeah. you, the only reason you know it's a sphere is because light hits that sphere at different angles and makes it appear three-dimensional. If you took the light source away, that thing would look like a circle, like flat. Yeah. You know? So so the, the the interesting thing is people have this sort of really small mythological version of what they think God is. And listen, we've been doing that forever. Polytheism existed for fifteen thousand years before monotheism. And we're only a fifth of the way in on monotheism because you know, we've only been doing this for about three thousand years with 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 a singular God. And, and quite frankly, it was less than that. When you talk about Constantine, who actually, you know, ordained that, yes, everyone will follow that there's only one God. Yeah. Right. I would be fascinated to, to have read the Bible pre-Constantine just to see what, what, what the text would have may have said at that point. Like maybe there was no Bible. Yeah. I see. You're there was, they just kind of there was no Bible. It was just the Bible is nothing more than a compilation of writings. Yeah, that's why the Bible we see today has the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but okay. it fails to have the book of Mary. It fails to have the book of Thomas and all these other things. And yeah. and if you look at all right, here's the, here's a great one. I do this to everyone, so I'm going to put you on the spot right now. You ready? Here you go. Go for it. All right. Who were the first? All right. So do you, you, maybe you don't know about the book of Genesis. Let's see if you know about the book of Genesis and, and everything I have else. Some hot Who were the first two people? Who were the two people that were on planet Earth first? Adam and Eve. 
wrong. And, and everybody goes, what? Heresy. Well, if you read the Jewish texts that predate the Old Testament, you learn that there was actually a woman named Lilith. Lilith was Adam's first wife. Lilith committed adultery on Adam. And you got to say to yourself, well, hmm, none of this kind of makes sense because if they're the first two people on the planet, who the hell did she, you know, cheat on Adam with? The, the, the goats in the fields? <laughs> I mean, you, you sort of think about this, yeah. but no. It says in those old Jewish texts that she went to the land of, oh my God, now I'm going to, I'm putting my own self on the spot. But if you look this stuff up, you'll see that mm-hmm. Lilith is actually what we now call a succubus, mm-hmm. a demonic force that likes to, um, likes to t- tempt men, right? Whereas an incubus is the, the manly, the masculine that likes to tempt women, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, all this mythology that comes together uh, about this stuff. And, and what people don't know is that, you know, a lot of the biblical stuff, the, the texts, the writings, and all these things were written by Middle Eastern men that lived in a very small part of the planet, 450 square miles of desert. That's why you only hear about fig trees, palm trees, the Red Sea, the desert, the, you know, the Israelites versus this culture and so on and so forth, because that's all they knew. Yeah. Know that there were redwood trees in in Northern California, you know, which would just have been North America back then. Actually, it would have just been this other plot of land yeah. back then, and that predate Jesus Christ's birth, that are still alive right now. That I saw less 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 than yeah. three years ago. That are still standing. That were here before the birth of Christ. You know, where where does it talk about that in the Bible? Where does it talk about anything else on planet Earth? No, yeah. it doesn't because. These people, their whole life was wrapped around this 450 square mile, you know, sand pit. And um, I'm sorry, but that's just not the way it works. And um, so I try to, I try to carefully tell people, I'm not trying to make you walk away from your religion. Yeah. Not by any stretch. If you listen, if your religion is helping you be a better person and get you yeah. on your journey, the way that this journey, whatever it is for you, is. Then, then go for it. And, and that's wonderful. But as soon as you start taking that ideology, and religion is an ideology, and start being exclusionary to different groups of people, like you used to be to people of color, because in the 1950s and early 60s, remember, there was that gentleman that walked into Woolworths and sat down in the Woolworths diner. There's a diner in Woolworths, yeah. and they said, you're not allowed to sit here. You're going to taint our tables. And by the way, you can't use the bathrooms because you're going to taint our bathrooms with your blackness. They, they were really disgusting human beings and they treated them bad. And what did he do? He kept coming back over and over and over again. And that was the precursor to the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And you know what they did? They used religious pretext as a way to put that person of color down. And that's horrifyingly bad. And we've been doing that forever. So you know what? Is it any surprise to me that they can't figure out that, you know, if you're straight? All right. So if if gay people are deciding to be gay and trans people are deciding to be trans, like it's a choice, then there's no question. If your conversion camps really, really honestly work, then let's prove that point. I am going to put you, I'm going to incarcerate you and turn you into a trans person. And I'm not just going to turn you into a trans person. But I'm also going to teach you to be gay. And you're going to be gay when you walk out of this conversion camp. 
because I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to flip you on your ass. So your conversion therapy camps supposedly cure us. So let's have a conversion therapy camp the opposite direction. Let's see how that works out for you. And the, you know what their, 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 their brains are going to say? That, that's not the way any of this works. That's not how any of this works. And, and the, the reality is, is that it's hypocritical. It, does, it makes no sense to begin with. So you've torn apart their entire the narrative and logic structure right there, right from the beginning. Because if you're straight, well, if it's a choice, do you wake up every day and say to yourself before you get out of bed, deep breath, I'm going to like girls today. You know, you, you as a guy, I'm going to like girls today. I'm not going to be gay. I'm going to be straight. Don't be nervous. Where's my Xanax? All right, here's my Xanax. All right, I'm good. I'm not going to be gay. I'm not going to look at guys. No homo, no homo, no homo. And then you go out into the street. Do you do that? Of course you don't do that, right? No, I mean, absolutely. it's just a silly, silly narrative to, to, to sit there and say that it's a choice when you don't. So on one end, it is a choice, but on the other, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Yes, because the devil is, has infected you. We love to attach the ethereal to everything, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Again, it's amazing. Like I said, how you how you switch testaments to fit what to to fit your narrative to make you feel better about it. Oh yeah, thou shalt not kill, right? But then read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Judges or Kings. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the most evil texts out of all of the different religious texts around the world yeah. that I've read. And I've read the Quran, the translated Quran, in its entirety, by the way. Yes, I've seen the verses about the infidels. Of course I have. But you know what? It pales in comparison to a lot of the stuff I've seen in the Old Testament. Leviticus is by far one of the most evil, destructive chapters in any religious text I've ever read in my life. And and if you want proof, y'all that, you know, 73 of percent of you Catholics out there that have never read the Bible before or only read it once in a while when it suits you, 73% of you fit that category. I, I, I caution you, go to the Old Testament and pick up Leviticus and show, and I'll, I'll show you right now all of the different hypocritical passages on how they teach you, hey, you're not allowed to kill, but there's this loophole that you can kill your child. And we have 11 different loopholes where it's okay for you to kill your child. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem. You can kill your child. If they're being a pain in your ass, we have ways you can kill your child. And here they are. It, it, that's a true story, by the way. There's a lot of passages where it teaches you, you're allowed to kill your child if they do this, 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 or this. Same thing happens with anything else. Why does America have a 51% divorce rate from marriages? It's interesting because this marriage equality act seems to drive people bananas. How does two people that are gay that love each other affecting your marriage, you know, as, as heterosexuals, right? When you can't get your shit together because the statistics have it within the next five years, you're going to divorce this woman you're with, Mm -hmm. you know, anyway, because 51% of y'all are going to do it. And guess what? 64% of you, are going to get divorced because of infidelity. Yeah. <gasps> Wait a minute. In the Bible, we call that adultery. Yeah. And adultery in the Bible is punishable by death. Yeah. But and it, I don't see y'all killing each other out yeah. there. <laughs> it's amazing how New Testament they give that. I'll be forgiven. You know, I'm forgiven. Yeah. I've asked for forgiveness. Yeah, now, yeah, now you can have the forgiveness passage put 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 into play. Yeah, it's, it's hysterical. It's, But, you know, I can't. 
you know, there's an old saying, and and I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody yeah. that's religious, but you can't cure stupid. And yeah. and you know, if you're going to actually fall into that dogmatic ideology that you know you are somehow on a higher pedestal than other people, when it's just the human condition. And if you can accept a child that's born with leukemia or autism or any other, you know, thing that happens, but you can't accept someone that has been born, you know, that has characteristics of a female and not a male, Mm -hmm. and somehow that becomes evil, then really what you're saying is that inherently the gender man or the gender woman is inherently evil all by itself. Because how can you... How can you take something that is not considered evil, and then if somebody has characteristics of that, all of a sudden it's evil? It makes no sense. Yeah, that's another one of my big fears is fanaticism. Yeah, where people, oh, there's a lot of that. Where people take things to so far, and it it's it just frightening because it's like, how do you get to that mental place that that this is that that it's that black and white for you? And I don't, I just don't see how you cannot see all the shades of gray that are yeah. around us. I, I just don't see how you can have like that much, like little horse blinders to some of this stuff. And it's not, you know, it's not just, you know, it's every religion has some fanaticisms that are, that are absolutely, you know, it's absolutely terrifying to think that, that you can read this and that you can pull these thoughts out of that text. Yeah, it's it's dangerous and it's it's sad because there's so many people that are that are dying unnecessarily because of those practices. And you know, the the funniest thing that I, I really wanted to bring this up and, and I was gonna do it earlier, but somehow I forgot. When we talk about religion, the one thing we always hear in the LGBT community is, you know what, stop shoving that shit in our face all the time. Keep it in your bedroom. Stop shoving it down our throat. My God, you guys are always shoving it down our throat. Mm -hmm. And I say to them, have you ever once thought that the causality in that shoving down your throat stuff is actually through you in the first place? Your very motives, your very actions have actually caused the dissonance that you're caught, you find yourself caught inside Mm -hmm. of. Because think about it. Religion has been taking a dump on people that are different than, than the stereotypical, you know, heterosexual cisgender population. And when you think about what they say to that is they say, you know, you, you, all you got to do is turn on one of those channels, which I don't want to, I don't want to say the channel because then people that watch Fox news will get mad at me. Oh, (laughs) I said it, didn't I? Um, you know, you turn that channel on and, and what you're going to find out is is that they say these narratives that are, that are absolutely gross because what they do is they, they say, um, you know, hey, listen, you were born, you were born this way or that way and you made a decision to do this and, and you're trying to take God, you liberals are trying to take God out of everything. We're not trying to take God out of everything. We're trying to take take ourselves and give ourselves equality. But, you know, your God, your fictitious God that you believe in that thinks you should hate people. Oh, we don't hate people. We hate the sin. Okay. So you hate the sin, this supposed mythological sin that you've all created um, because my humanity, the way I was born 
you know, you weren't born that way. You decided, no, I was born that way. But you've decided in your heads that it's it's an abomination and you're going to create laws to prohibit me from living my life as 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 fruitfully as you folks do. And that somehow giving me rights takes a little bit of the share of the pie away from you. That's not how any of this works. And, you know, why would you... Why would you say that? If if you think I'm an ideology and we're forcing our opinions on you and our ideology on you because we are the church of LGBT, apparently, to you guys, so what gives you the right to, to, to throw your ideologies at at someone else saying, you're wrong, My mine is the truth and the light, and, and, you know, here's the truth, and then you start, you know, reading from Scripture, the truth, the truth, the truth. Well, prove that it's the truth. You can't prove that it's the truth mm-hmm. because faith by its very nature is not predicated on truth. Yeah. It's predicated on faith. And I can actually scientifically prove to you that I was born different than everybody else, but you don't want to hear it. You know, it's it's kind of sad. And I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not like pissed off or angry at, at, at just people, but I get mad when they say, listen, I know the church says this about you guys and, and that if, it, you know, like the, the, the bishops of America have all just voted and mm-hmm. said, if your transgender child continues that sort of behavior, you should disown them. Yeah. They actually said that. That's, that's, that's disgusting. You're, you're, you're teaching the wrong lessons of humanity to everyone. And I, I just don't agree with that. And, and yeah, but you know what? That's the church. That's not the way I think. I don't act like that. Well, do you go to that church? Of course I do. Well, then you are part of the problem because you're turning the other cheek. It's sort of like saying, and I hate saying this because um, people need to take this with a spoon spoon of sugar. It's like following out of Hitler's ideology, right? And saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when he goes and starts slaughtering people, you say to yourself, yeah, but you know, I, I like that ideology, but I don't I don't go out and slaughter people. I'm not yeah. like that. It's the same thing. You're 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 enabling that yeah. whole ideological you know construct. And at some point, Christians and Muslims and everyone alike, all the different religions need to stand up and say, you know what? We're getting this shit wrong and we're getting it wrong bad. Because mm-hmm. time after time, history has shown us that we had to concede our points. We did it with Copernic, the Copernican version that the Earth is not the center of the universe. It took them a long time to finally, you know, say, okay, it's it's time to apologize. The Earth is not yeah. the center of the universe. And then look at leprosy. 2,200 years we thought leprosy was the hand of God punishing somebody for sinning against him. And if it wasn't that person that was sinning, they were paying the price for the sins of the parents. Yeah. Written right in scripture, right? 2,200 years we went along with that crazy view until 1873 a Norwegian scientist discovered that it's nothing more than a myobacterial infection. So wait a minute. It's just a, a bacterial infection called a micro, mycobacterial infection. Not microbacterial, but myo or mycobacterial infection. And it still took another 60 years for the church to concede that they had it all wrong for those 2,000 years. And it took society even longer because it had to propagate through society. And all of these people in the meantime, think about the countless tens of thousands of people that died of leprosy thinking that they were sinners. It's, it's disgusting. We do this time and time and time again with different people 
that are that are different. We don't like we don't like the differences in each yeah. other, and that's a shame. It is, and it's one of those things where, like, as I as I said, forty four years, it's it's getting better and it's getting more accepted, and it's just it's just unfortunate. It's like I say, we're just you know a lot of people are just unfortunately caught in that transition period, and there's just there's no there's no good way to fast forward it. There's no because the the harder you push, the people that are going to resist, the harder they're going to push back, and it just it's one of those things where you just have to you oh, have to try to. It's it's just it's just hard. You just it's a it's a it's a sad waiting game, of just waiting waiting for waiting for acceptance and. Yeah, and that reminds me of a, a very funny story. I was at obviously I live in Florida. And, you know, not very far away from Disney World. And Disney has this new place called Disney Springs, which is like the huge, the huge, um, I don't know, uh, retail and restaurant mega center. It's huge. It's the size of one of their theme parks, but it's all shopping centers and, and restaurants and themed things for Disney. My friend and myself. And my children. I have children because I assimilated, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a very difficult process for me. That's a whole nother story, right? So for me, for me, I didn't I didn't get disingenuous with the people that I married because I told them ahead of time. I said, listen, mm-hmm. I was born incongruent. I am, you know, I have gender dysphoria, I have, I have this, I have that. And you know, I don't know what to do about this, and I don't know how to transition, get from here to there. So if you leave me, that's fine. They end up marrying me anyway, right? Mm-hmm. We have children. To have children, I sort of have to be in my head. I had to admit that to them. Mm-hmm. In order to have children with you, I have to kind of get inside. I wanted children so badly, but mm-hmm. I wanted to bear the children. <laughs> yeah. But to have children, I had to sort of get inside my head because I just couldn't make things work, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I had to be inside my head because all of this was unnatural for me. Yeah. So I'm in Disney at this place. And it was hot. It was like 104 degrees that day. And we're drinking water over and over and over. And, and we're all having a ball, but it was so hot. So we made our way to the restroom. There's lots of restroom facilities all through this huge place. It's the size of a town, this yeah. this, this little theme park. And we go into the restroom. And, and I leave my kids out on the stoop. Brian will be, and I will be back. And you just sit here because obviously there's a long line to get in. And we got online with these 40 other women and went into the bathroom. Eventually did my thing. And this is pre-operative, right? I went to, this is a a while back. I was still pre-operative, you know, downstairs. And I went in, but I was a woman and I, I, you know, I just went in. I just happened to have an Audi instead of an Indian. and it was yucky. But, you know, that didn't define me either. So I do my thing. And no problems. I fixed my makeup, which melted off me, by the way. I fixed my hair. I went back out to my boys and I said, everything looked good. Oh, yeah. You were sweating before, but you look really good now. And blah, blah, blah. So we have this whole conversation. We go about our way. We start drinking more water. Water, water, water. And then we go to the next facility. We do our business again. We do this four times over the course of the day. The fifth time, it's about close to seven o'clock at the night at night. Now everybody needs to go to the bathroom at the same time, right? So we let the boys go and do their thing in the boys' room. They come back out. They sit right outside the ladies' room. Mariah is already online with me. And we're like, you guys just stay here. We're, we're going to be about 15 minutes before we even get in there. 
we go in, we do our thing. I fix my makeup again. I fix my hair again. On my way out, there's about 40 women waiting in line to get in. And this pretentious 30-something-year-old woman with her child says to me, oh, my God, like, totally wrong bathroom. Jesus Christ. And I stop. And I see everybody is looking at me. All the women in this bathroom and waiting online are staring at me. The, all eyes are on me. And she goes, oh, she does that. And I look at her straight in the eyes. I put my hand to my mouth and I go, oh, my God, honey, I'm so sorry. I saw the men's room on the other side of this facility. I could walk you over there right now. Oh, my God, you must be so embarrassed. I can walk you there right now. The girl behind her sticks both her thumbs up behind her head and sort of does a Wayne's World sort of thumbs up. And then she mouths to me, best comeback ever. And then all the other ladies start laughing hysterically. And then they start doing something very amazing. They start applauding. And as I'm walking out, they're, they're sort of tapping me on the shoulder going, honey, you look beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and as I'm walking out, they said, don't listen to that bitch, you know, yeah. and, and this and that. And, and just compliment after compliment, 40 women deep. Yeah. I get out to my boys. They go, oh, my God, you just slayed. I think that's the word my kids use. <laughs> slayed. You just slayed it is, is what they said. And I said, I did what? You slayed it. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys heard that? They said, yeah, it was brilliant. And, you know, I handled it with a little bit of comedy relief. Yeah. You know, I think you could appreciate that instead yeah. of I could have got mad and I could have gotten her face or, and you know, I could have yeah. be, berated her in front of her child. Instead, I sort of turned the tables on her to, just mm-hmm. to let her see what it feels like to be humiliated in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. And and that's it, it's at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And so, yeah, and it doesn't matter which side of the thing you're on is you're you're talking to another human being and those people have feelings. It's it's not somebody it's not an unfeeling creature or monster that you're that you're lay you're you're lailing judgment or offensive comments or something like that. You're still you're contributing to that psyche, and you can you can either be a helping factor or you can be as that one was a detriment. And yeah, because a lot of people are are actually of the mindset of. Ew, we don't want those transgender people in the bathroom with us. They're just going to look under the toilet stall at us. The reality is never in the history of history has a transgender woman done such a thing. However, over and over and over again, and I can cite these things with scholarly articles and, and research that has been done, the opposite has happened. They are so fixated on our genitals that they are actually peeking under the stalls at us. Mm-hmm. And it's gross. It's totally gross because... You know, as a woman, all we want to do is go into the bathroom and we want to do our thing, clean up, fix our makeup, fix our hair, get the hell out of there as quick as we can because bathrooms are gross. And you know what? Us women are gross. We, 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 we leave the bathroom disheveled, you know, and, you know, just to get a little more gross. Why not? Why not go all the way and just say, yeah, we hover over the toilet seat, but we don't clean it up afterwards, some of us. Mm-hmm. Some of you women that don't clean up after yourselves, after you hover above a seat, ew, just let me say that, ew, yeah. clean it up, ladies, clean it up. You know, I do. Yeah. So it's just, you know, and guys, you know, you have to tell them all the time, you know, you guys just don't understand. 
You know, you think you understand women. You will listen to a woman complain. Mm-hmm. And then what, what, what does a man want to do every time? He wants to fix the problem. Sometimes a woman just wants you to listen. They want you to shut the F up and just listen. And you know what it's called? Affirmation. Men, I, I'm in a, I am in a unique position where I can train women and men on certain mm-hmm. aspects of gender and the differences between them. And countless people in the cisgender community said, oh, you missed your calling. You should have been a psychologist. You could have helped marriage counsel so many people, right? Because guys don't get women and women don't get guys. Like, the, 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 I can pick on guys all I want, but I can pick on women too because guys want to fix everything. Sometimes you just need to shut up and listen and give affirmation to what she's going through yeah. and say, and instead of saying, well, next time you should go and tell her this and blah, blah, blah. You, you know what you say to her? You say, wow, that's terrible. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I totally feel you. I, I'm, I'm feeling you. And is there anything I can do? You know, with, no, no, you're doing wonderful. Thank you for not trying to tell me what to do next. You know? With a girl, you know, when when a guy is going through something, we tend to get overly emotional about it, and we don't really see where the guy is coming from because we don't really understand men. You know, we think we understand men, and men think they understand women. But at the at the end of the day, those are just stereotypes of of what each are. Yeah. There's so many nuances that we don't understand between the sexes. But to be fair. I'm in a unique position. Mm-hmm. I'm in a very empathetic position because I ask my male friends, mm-hmm. is there something called male privilege or toxic masculinity? 10 out of 10 of my friends said, absolutely not. <laughs> I was like, you guys are miserably lost because yeah. yes, there is. I was born into it. I experienced it firsthand and I hated mm-hmm. every minute of it. Well, and you guys are so lucky that you, 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 you don't have to deal with X, Y, and Z, you know? Yeah. Well, I've, I, and I see that, like I said, in com- like, again, coming 44, like, just seeing, the, like, now as I get older, like, seeing the younger generation is, and watching, like, older generations interact with younger. So you uh, see a lot of older men, you know, interacting, and older men, what they'll say, what they've always been told is that's a compliment. But what it comes out as is flirtation is when you're at, as an older man, I get that the mindset, as you were told, is you compliment a woman on her looks. You tell her she looks beautiful. But women at a newer age now are like, be on the lookout for men that are complimentary because sometimes, you know, if you're not if you're not wanting to be complimented, it's OK to tell them. And so in the olden days, when you told a woman you look beautiful, they would just say thank you no matter how it made them feel, they would say thank you and go about their day because they never felt okay. If they didn't feel okay with they didn't feel okay with telling you, I don't feel okay with you telling me I look pretty. If well, you-, you know what happens too often because I deal with it too now too. And, and what happens is guys will introduce themselves to you, whether it's online or in person, and they'll, and they'll say something like this. this. These are the triggers. And a lot of them, my girlfriends are, are going to be like slamming on their desk laughing, going, oh, girl, you are so correct. They'll start out, you know, you, you can always tell a foreign guy because he'll go, hello, dear. So now you know you're dealing with someone most likely in the Middle East or somewhere in, in that location because we don't address people in the United States with hello, dear, right? Yeah. Uh, unless you're 92 years old talking to a youngster, yeah. right? Um, then there's, hey, beautiful, or hey, gorgeous, or... Wow, you're hot, or you know, all these different 
all these things that they think are wonderful, you know, you don't introduce yourself like that. You, you say, hi, do you, do you have a few minutes? We might talk to each other. I just, I just, you know, I just want to try to get to know some people. And, you know, if you don't, you know, I just, no, no harm. I just reaching out. That's one way to do it. You don't see that though. I go through, ever since I was declared a public, you know, figure, I've been getting thousands and thousands of, of hits and, and requests every single day, like friend requests on Facebook and, and Twitter and all these places. And, and my publicist just says, 99% of them, I want you to delete. Don't even look at them. Because if you want to be truly friends with somebody, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. And if they truly want to get a hold of you, they'll call me. And I was like, wow, that's actually true. Because I said, what if one of those friends are, are, you know, is somebody that's famous that really wants to put me on their talk show or something? They said, that's not how they're going to do it anyway. I said, you're right. All right. So what do I do? I have somebody that erases or deletes hundreds of friend requests every day. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have somebody helping me do this, I'd never get through it. It's yeah. stupid. And, and, and they say to me all the time, you know, I spend an inordinate amount of time in Facebook Messenger getting rid of in, in Instagram, oh my God, Instagram, where these messages from these guys are constantly, they say the same thing over and over and over. It's always the same comments. And yeah. they think it's Tinder or someplace where yeah. you can, it's gross. Well, they, it's just, gross. they just think that they have carte blanche and it's, and then they, it's almost, I would say sometimes when a comic makes us, I would say an offensive remark, and then they say, "Well, I'm just joking. It's a joke. It, it's kind of that. It's that. It's that lean back of, oh, that's just old my old fashioned values. It's like they. It's like they try to they they instead of embracing that maybe that's not acceptable anymore or that's appropriate. You know, we we're starting to redefine what it is what is appropriate and what's inappropriate kind of interactions as to a man and woman." in this day yeah. and age and and you're you're having a clash of these old-fashioned you know i'm just trying to compliment you know a girl that tell her she looks nice well she doesn't need to know she 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 has a mirror okay she knows how she looks you yeah don't. i mean we do want to be complimented but we want to be complimented at the right time and by the right people yeah right we don't want a perfect stranger sort of coming up and it's kind of creepy yeah you know I would say if you're if you are strange you and you compliment I would say don't just don't come with the generic you're beautiful that's again a, one that women always like really if you really want to compliment or find something to compliment her on and really like I said be specific don't don't come with a broad compliment I would say oh my gosh I love that sweater you know something that's really absolutely something yeah. that's like shows that you're not just watching her that you're actually looking at details instead of the bigger picture growing up i always saw the guys that i was forced to hang out with would objectify women and girls and and i never really understood it and and that was just another part of the social keys that Mm. that you can tune into about who i was here i was with these boys and we were teenagers i had a boyfriend at that time you know for almost a year and so I spent an inordinate amount of time at this horse farm where this boy lived. And, you know, he, he was my everything. He was the only person up in, you know, up to this day, really, other than a few other times in my life that I had the butterfly effect in my stomach and, 
it would move from my stomach to, I see this in my book, it moves from my stomach up into the chambers of my heart and, and mm-hmm. flutter, the butterflies flutter in there as well. He was really the, the one of the only people in my life that actually gave me that feeling. When I kissed a girl, it was, you know, Katy Perry says it good. I kissed a girl and I liked it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I have to say it's enjoyable to kiss a girl. It really is. But it wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it just didn't do the same thing to me yeah. as, as, so, so here I was talking to these boys and they would say, oh, did you see Lisa's tits? Oh my God. I'd love to. And I'm like, ew, that's gross. And I would tell them, shut up. That's yeah. why would you say something like that? And they'd say, and then they'd call me a derogatory word, right? Yeah. You know, how dare you, you, you say that to another guy that's trying to say something about a girl. And I'm like, that's gross. Don't say that. And it was because my, even though I wasn't experiencing the puberty that I was supposed mm-hmm. to, I still empathized with what they were going through. Because at a young age, I knew why girls get training bras. Boys don't know why girls get training bras. They don't have any foggy clue what a training bra is for. But girls do. And it has nothing to do with your boobs themselves. It has to do with another little part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many different facets to to what boys think they understand and what girls go yeah. through that you know, we get into the Me Too generation where, you know, these women are finally coming out and saying, enough is enough. I went through Hollywood or the music business and God, did I see a lot yeah. of it in the music business. There was so much misogyny and objectification in the music business. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of women that actually carried through on some of that, which was kind of gross. Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, it was still wrong on several levels mm-hmm. because they were using sex yeah. as a tool yeah. to to get what they want. Yeah, it's 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 definitely like I said, it's definitely a privilege, and it's I I would say male privilege is that, that you have the ability to to compliment any woman, and whereas a woman doesn't in uh, you're and you're labeled as a nice guy, whereas a woman compliments a man. Oh, she wants him, you know, it, that's, uh, that's yeah. the male privilege is, is that the same actions done by another gender is disdained or is, is basically is, I would say just, you know, an unattractive quality versus when a guy does it. Oh, he's a go getter. He, he's, he's a people person. And it's like, no, you don't understand that that's, you know, whereas, you know, a woman that has ambition or something, oh, she's. She's a cutthroat. She's, you know, she's a, a, a ice queen because she she will just use you, you know, it, all that stuff. Is She just works. It's true. There's always the derogatory, right? And there's always the the, the whole thing that women are of a lesser mm-hmm. uh, of a lesser stance than a man. Man is good. Woman is lesser. And, the, and, and that's why there's so much homophobia. And that's why there's so you, you look at the masses out there. And if religion has nothing to do if we take religion out of it for a moment, most of your people that are really homophobic are men, right? And and when you look at transphobia, a lot of it is 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 basically a basic insecurity that's built into the DNA of most men at this point, which is why would you want to give away your male privilege, your malehood, to be this lesser thing that we make fun? Of? That's why they make fun of yeah. that, right? Hollywood was actually the biggest sinner. On the planet for 115 years, Hollywood, we were the brunt of the joke for 115 years. Even in in silent films, in up through Groucho Marx and so on and so forth, where 
you know, we were the man in the dress, the guy with the beard and the dress, mm-hmm. the, the brunt of the jokes, the person that should be a circus freak and, and, yeah. and placed into the circus. And, and, and then it became like with Psycho and all yeah. of these other movies, the man dressing up like his mom that mm-hmm. had a mom fetish, right? And, and you know, the evil trans person that kills people because they're, yeah. they're obviously mentally wackadoodle and, and want to kill you. And, 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 you know, it was just so disgusting yeah. and it's such a wrong narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those stereotypes have killed people. Yeah. And it's, or, you know, or have or caused them to take their own life thinking that they're, that that's good. That's their, that if their, their path is, that's where their path's going to lead them. And so we're going to, we're not going to, I don't want to be that. And, but I have no choice because of what I believe and feel in my heart. And so I've got to, you know, in my- I would say that's true to a lesser extent. I think, you know, because a lot of people say, oh, you all trans, you, you trans people kill yourself because you don't like yourself. You're going through a gender, you're going through an identity crisis. None of those things are true. The, the reality is, is that most people have suicidal ideation or actually follow through on suicide because of societal standards. <laughs> yeah. And society treats us pretty shitty. We come out to our parents, they disown us. We come out to our friends, they don't yeah. want anything to do with us. We come out to society of, of people that don't even know us and they treat us like, like we're these weird, sick animals. And so society, you know, doesn't realize that you can punch us in the nose mm-hmm. and you know what, I'm going to bleed for a little while, but that nose is going to heal. But if you start punching us with words, yeah, they hold a lot more weight than people can imagine and they can affect you for your entire life. Oh, absolutely. And as somebody that was bullied in a, in with, with, you know, my whole life like i i get that like and it's and then like i said again when people it, the ones that hurt you know kind of hurt more are the ones that, like i said that come from the people that try to nurture it out like to nurture you but they don't know how they don't know how to communicate or support and they don't realize that they're you know in not helping and it's just it's hard because like you said you have parents that disown you then you have the parents that don't understand and you know make you feel you know and say things that just make you feel worse by trying to make you feel better or trying to explain it away rather than like you said affirmation like i'm sorry you're going through this and sometimes you just want to hear i'm sorry that this is hard and your parents are like you know you know don't cut you know don't tell your father or you know things like that and so you have to live with this like you said, societal pressure. It's not. It's not identity crisis. You know who you are. You're just afraid of how everybody else is going to accept or reject that identity. Yeah, and you know what's funny? It's not funny, actually. It's sad. It's tragic. In fact, a, a fair portion of society is getting confused at this point, and I can say rightly so because there seems to be more and more labels every day. But that's because we're trying to bring awareness that we are so diverse, and because of this this limiting gender mm-hmm. binary or this binary world that we found ourselves living in because Western civilization, you know, and the colonialists of America decided that there isn't any such thing as multiple genders. It's only two, even though every culture on the planet for thousands of years had that, you know, the Kahui of, of, of Thailand and, and Asia, which really in, in English means lady boy you know, the, the shaman of, of Eastern Europe and uh, the Middle East, which had multiple genders and they were revered 
They were actually healers. They were revered by their populations. And then in the Americas, North, Central, and South, we had something called the Two-Spirit, the indigenous people of the Americas, the American mm -hmm. Indian, the Two-Spirit. So we've always known there's multiple genders and that it runs on a spectrum. But, you know, in all of their wonderment, you know, the, the Western civilization folks and the colonialists decide, let's dumb this down a bit and call it the gender binary. Yeah. If all of you are having an issue with what I'm saying, please, I, 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 I urge you, go fact check me on this. Mm -hmm. um, it's in the history books. You can find it yourself. And um, But it's sad because that's what we've done. And now we believe that's the way it's always been. Yeah. And that creates a big problem because now we're hearing about gender, you know, you know, there's people that are non-conforming and gender fluid and non-binary. And you hear about transgender women, transgender men. You hear about people that are asexual, pansexual, demisexual, all these terms, intersex, uh, queer, questioning, you know, lesbian, yeah. bisexual, pansexual, all these different terms. And they're like, oh, my God, cisgender. People actually think cisgender is a derogatory term. You know, the bigots of the world actually look at that and say, how dare you call me cisgender? Well, we're trying to show you that, you know, it's not acceptable for you to say, well, you know, I'm a real woman and you're a trans woman. No, I'm a real woman too. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's this weird divide. So we come up with these scientific terms because cis all you know, if you look it up in the dictionary, and I'll wait for your listeners to, to look it up, cis just means on the same side of, yeah, right? Gender meaning, you know, you know the, the whole spectrum of gender. So on the same side of means you're congruent. You, mm -hmm. You're born, you're assigned male at birth, and you're hunky-dory with that. Good for you, right? So they see all these labels, and they can't figure it out. And the same dissonance happened this year. We saw it play itself out, but, you know, People need their their attention, you know, drawn to it a little. We had all we had Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Then we started seeing those those people that I'm talking about say, "Well, all lives matter." Well, duh. Let me explain something to you, cheesecake. Here's how this works: All lives matter is the default. We don't have to speak about the default because, by its very nature, it's a given. And things that are a given don't need to be accentuated like that. Mm -hmm. So all lives matter. We already know that. And here's a prime example of that. Cancer sucks, doesn't it? So why is it we have breast cancer awareness fund drives? Mm -hmm. Are you saying that you would be one of those people that would walk into a, a breast cancer awareness fund drive and say, you know what? And throw your hands in the air and wail them around saying, I'm not giving you guys a dime because you left out all the other cancers because all cancer matters and all cancer sucks. It's the same ludicrous kind of statement to yeah. say that we bring advocacy to marginalized groups that are in danger. Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick took a knee because he has a platform. His platform is football. He took a knee mm -hmm. and granted to him by the U S constitution that you are allowed if you're a marginalized group and you're being persecuted or otherwise repressed by your government, we built into the Constitution of the United States that every soldier enlisted man fought and died for, mm -hmm. for him to kneel and peacefully protest that. Yeah. That is a right we have in this country. God, can you imagine if the people that were calling Colin Kaepernick out actually got their way? 
we would devolve into a country where you're not allowed yeah. to speak out against your government. And the problem is, and, is those people don't realize we've changed. And they yeah. don't, they, they, they say make America great again. I'm like, but that was when like the, I would say the ethnicity and the, everything was mostly single Caucasian family. We've, we've evolved past that now with, with the Latino community, the LGBT community, the, the Asian community, all these people have become a more of a voice in our country. So what you're saying by saying you want to go back to old world values is, is to marginalize those people. I was like, it's easy to look at, at it from the rosy perspective of the Caucasian male in the 50s who had no, you know, could find any job he wanted, you know, didn't need to have a college degree, had, could find a high paying job if he just smiled and get, had a firm handshake. Those people, the, those other communities now that are larger and more prevalent in the society never had that. So for you to say that is to say, well, we want to go back to, to ignoring these people again and, and to push them away because it's more important that uh, as a white person, we get back to when things were great for me. Yeah, and in fact, that that's actually a very true statement because I, I would say to the people that said make America great again, I said, to, to what are you attributing the word great? You know, what, what's your metric that you're using yeah. for great? And, and then I said, while you're at it, please explain to me to what era or period of time you're attributing the word again. Mm-hmm. And, and quite frankly, a lot of times they really did go back to the 1950s. And I said, so basically what you're saying is women don't mean anything to you because the women's suffrage movement, the, the women ability to vote, um, all the different things like uh, equality, uh, that that had happened doesn't seem to matter to you. The civil rights movement obviously didn't happen yet at that yeah. point. And, and Rosa Parks was still sitting at the back of a bus and, and, you know, don't even get me started with all the different cultures of the world yeah. and people that were gay that were in a closet and, and, and it was just taboo. Yeah. It's just an amazing, it's an amazing set of circumstances to yeah. even think that somebody because that's what we do as humans. We we sit down and we say, well, things were good for me. And we don't look at the other people because, you know what, you're inconvenient because there's not a whole yeah. lot of you to begin with. So you're just an inconvenience yeah. on my life. Yeah. And they don't realize that's what they're doing. You exactly. Know? And that's and it's one thing, too, like I, as I see it, it's like we're, we're making progress. Like I, I would say we're already great. There's so many there's so many great things about this country. Yes, we have our flaws. But there are so many great things like there, you know, there is opportunity here and and, you know, not as, you know, not as violent persecution and amenities and and things that you're, you know, that people with children and educational opportunities. There's we're still the land of opportunities. Unfortunately, some people just don't realize that those opportunities don't all belong to them and they and they feel like their their stuff's being taken but you never used it and so now that somebody wants it's the big brother syndrome now that now that the younger brother wants to play with a toy you want to play with a toy but you didn't want to play with a toy until somebody else wanted to play with it yeah and in fact what happens in our society is we we're we're victims of when we grew up Here's a great example that sort of, it touches on something tangential, which will help connect the dots. 
we were outraged as a as a as a society when the schools said we're going to get rid of clocks that have an hour hand and a minute hand. In other words, those round clocks in the schools. We're going to get rid of them. Parents went apeshit crazy over that. It was it was really ridiculous. I mean, I, I paid close attention to this because I was also in education for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, really? This is a problem for you guys? And I would say to them, I said, well, listen, let's let's think about this carefully, okay? When you were in school, right, you had the round clocks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when was the last time when you were in school that your teacher stopped class walked you out into the courtyard of the school to the 18 foot diameter sundial. So you could figure out what time it is on the sundial. Well, we never did that. I said, exactly. I said, do you see what you're doing? Here's the thing that here's the the philosophy part of it that I, I, I actually wrote in my book that says, once we have figured the world out as a, as, as a, as a human being, as an individual, once we figure the world out, it is no longer ours to have. It belongs to the younger generations. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get everything figured out in this ridiculous three-dimensional world, by the time we get it all figured out, it's really not ours to have anymore. Yeah. It's, it belongs to the younger generations coming up through the ranks. That's the weird irony of it all. Yeah. I, I was fascinated by m- my cousin who was... Before this election, he in the 2016, he was like 14, and he didn't understand why the election was, I believe, 18 and up, because he's like, "Well, I'm going to be the one inheriting this. I'm I'm going to be voting a voting age." Or he was like 16. It was like he's in the middle. He can't vote, but by the time this election ends, he's going to be a part of society. And he wanted to know, you know, why isn't my voice counted? Why doesn't the voice of the people that are about to step into this mess, you know, why can't I have a say in how this country's run? But somebody who's two weeks, you know, away from maybe not even being a part of it gets more of a say than I do. And I was like, that's a very, you know, it's a very fun, interesting point. Like, why don't we lower the voting age in maybe, you know, at a certain point, cut off, you know, your right to vote. Like just maybe to, age isn't the metric we use. Maybe yeah. it shouldn't be based on age because there is no magical age where you you magically get your shit together, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people that are 18, 19, 20 that don't even know what government means yeah. or how to spell the word for that matter, right? Yes, I'm 44 uh-huh. and I'm still getting my shit together. So, <laughs> so I feel that statement. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where maybe we're 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 looking at this. We got to look at it from outside of the box and, yeah. and sort of rethink, rethink some of the things we're doing in society and to each other, and and truly understand that each of us has a journey. And if you believe in God, wonderful. If you don't believe in God, also wonderful. Because mm-hmm. frankly, if there is no God and we really do become nothingness, like we become dirt, mm-hmm. you're going to be painfully unaware. Yeah, <laughs> You're not going to know because you're going to cease to exist. Therefore, you're not going to care. If there is a God, then you really have to deal with your individual journey. And we all say it. Even scripture says it. It's your individual journey. Mm-hmm. So you come to this planet. You come to this 3D rock completely and utterly alone. You don't come with a party of people, you know, hey, everybody get out of the limo. We've arrived, right? 
it's you unless you're a twin and you got a twin coming right behind you. Yeah. Other than that, you're you're completely and utterly alone. You go through your life, you do your journey, and when you die, the moment of your death, you you can have your entire family surrounding you, but when you die, you're gonna die completely and utterly alone. And if you ever do get to that fictitious pearly gate where St. Peter is standing mm-hmm. at the door, ready with his notepad to judge the shit out of your life, yeah. right? If you ever do get to that point where that actually exists, well, guess what? He's going to judge you completely and utterly alone. Yeah. He's not going to judge, you know, so if you hated gay people or mm-hmm. trans people or you had you had a cat up your ass about any of those things, none of that's going to matter because you're going to get judged on your actions and yeah. whatever your life was. And it has not. So if I, if I truly am sinning, I'm going to be judged for that yeah. according to your according to your ideology and mythology. I'm going to be judged for that, yeah. right? Medusa, I'm going to have to look into Medusa's eyes, and she's going to turn me into a pillar of salt, right? Yeah. Oh, weird, weird. Where have I heard that before? Oh, they use that same Medusa sort of story with the story called you know Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. and gay people, which yeah. had nothing to do with gay people. It had to do with pedophilia, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we we regurgitate these these sort of mythologies over and over and, and we we grab them we grab pieces of them and we use them for our own good in our new religion that we created and we did this with medusa with the pillars of salt you're going to be turned into a pillar of salt we did this with countless other iterations of of earlier religions you know look at hades look at hell hades yeah. was actually the the god of the underworld yeah right you had to cross the river Styx. you know the ethereal plane where all the dead and disenchanted were, right? To spend all eternity. And then lo and behold, the Christians, because Judaism doesn't believe in all this, you know, Christians came out with this paradise, it's heaven. And if you ever saw pictures of paradise, once again, it looks like that 450 square miles, you know, plotted dirt out in the Middle East that they all lived in. It looks like palm trees and fig trees, and there's the Red Sea over there in the corner, and that's what they call paradise. And um, and then you look at the depiction of hell with this horned beast with with you no know lids. lava and fire and you're gonna burn and, and it's gonna hurt and you're gonna get an ouchie and you're gonna need you know countless band aids to cover it up. I mean, you know, I gotta be honest. I'm a cynical person. I'm very cynical. I'm spiritual. Yeah. I I believe that there is some sort of God, whether it's yeah. whether it's sort of a multiverse and there's this collective of sorts or some sort of source right but i don't want to call it this engendered god this mythology that we've all created in in modern society i'd rather call it what it is and if i ever get to that point where i am at that pearly gate i'm gonna say whoa jackson slow down honey slow down listen i heard there's this crazy ass party going about 60 stories below just get, call Uber for me. I want to head that way. You don't need to judge me. I, I'm already set to go, honey. Let, let's yep. let's go. And you know, because that is not my God. Yeah. That is not the God I believe in. Yeah. I, we have this weird disillusionment that there's this spiteful God yeah. that gets pissed off at everything, and and it's just so silly to, yeah. to think that this is the world we live in, and yet we still have one foot in the cave. Yeah. You know? I. You know, I I stand by, you know, my virtues of right and wrong and, you know, I do the best that I can and I I don't I don't believe that there is a, you know, a god that's that's that 
micromanaging that he yeah. would that he would that every little thing I do like I have to like I just feel like you do the best you can like I said I my I don't think a god's going to uh, fault me if I miss a Sunday or two or you know if I if I even go to a a, a hall of worship or not like and that's the other thing like you just said it right there it was brilliant what you just said cuz you just laid out the exact argument for why spirituality and religion are two separate idea sets because what everything you just said you relate it to god god is a spiritual thing mm -hmm. whereas going to church and all these other mechanisms that you named are part of the dog dogmatic ideology which is a man-made construct which we call religion all religion is if you get down to brass tacks is a way to prevent social anarchy it's to bring a, a massive group of people together under the un, under a singular thought process and ethical code so if you if you really study theology in all of its in, incarnations you'll notice that look at what we did to witches mm -hmm. all throughout the oh yeah all throughout the ages they thought that was the occult they thought that it was the devil they were devil worshipers mm -hmm. that, that, that's i study wicca there yeah. no that has nothing to do with yeah. it so we, we create mythology on anything that's different from us, and we do that even within the religious construct, right? Yeah. I interviewed a witch <laughs> yesterday, actually. I, the, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, so we... And that's one thing, too, is I also... Like, when I look at science, and I've argued with friends of mine that are very religious, I was like, well, I've just sometimes in my mind, I because chromosomes, females, like you said, there's the constant female is the constant xx that is the constant genome male is the i guess the uh, variable not the control right and so if you take that and you you take the story of adam and eve and you actually look at it like when you see adam said you know eve came from adam's rib well, I was like well if you take it and you look at it genetically so let's flip the roles say because females are constant they would have had to be created first yeah. So it would be Eve, then Adam. So then it makes more sense when they say that Adam came out of Eve's rib because that's, to me, childbirth. That's you reaching in and pulling a, a child out of the womb. Very good. Mm -hmm. But and then I started thinking, you know, well, tell you know, eating an apple you're not supposed to and telling you that it's because a snake told you to. Totally a dude. That's totally a guy. That's totally a young boy's lie All to, right. a, to a parent. Absolutely. That's something totally. <laughs> I didn't do it. Uh, a snake told me. I, yeah. I was like, that's totally something a man would do. That and, and even the intent is to, is to be to know everything. So that, oh, yeah. That's definitely a man's a, a man's desire. And but you said Adam and Eve, which was interesting because if you think about Eve coming from Adam's rib, right, and you think about the bio, biological processes and the and the genetics of it all. So what did God do? God took and made Eve out of the rib of Adam, mm -hmm. and then he trans transmutated her into the female form so that they could procreate, right? So he took a clone of Adam, mm -hmm. a clone of Adam, he was the first. and transfigured that person into a female. That's your first transgender person on the planet was the second person on the planet. And you know what? I've talked to priests I've talked to bishops, I've talked to rabbis, I've talked to pastors, and you know what? At the end of the conversation, each one of them threw their hands up in the, in the air and says, well, 
you have to understand, you know, this is where they changed their narrative. That's all allegory. It's really just a story. It, it's a, it's a parable. Mm-hmm. Oh, so is but until I said that it was the real deal that really happened yeah. until I said something that completely destroyed your world view mm-hmm. of what that was, because you don't have an answer for me yeah. about, about that. Just like you said, it would have made more sense to have Eve first. Yeah. That was brilliant. Brilliant. That That's, that's also very true. <laughs> so that's what I'm, but my, in my head is like when, they, when he says it's all allegory. So, so is, so is me going to hell if I do something wrong. Right. So that's allegory too. Like that's not going to happen. Right. Oh, right. Exactly. Wow. That's yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, this is the way people get through their life and mm-hmm. they get through it. Through this, this actually what ends up being meaningless stuff that they think is meaningful. And at the end of the day, you know, um, each one of us, and there's over 7 billion of us have to get through this crazy three-dimensional world that we live in. And do we really need to be up each other's ass all the time? Or can we start practicing four simple letters? M Y O B. Mind your own. own. If we could just get a hold of those four letters, our whole planet would be so much better to deal with because quite honestly, 99% of all the problems in the world come from this sort of construct where, you know, and I know we're picking on religion, but, there's a rightly so mechanism uh, to be handed down about that because a lot of people don't understand that religion is, is very uh, exclusionary mm-hmm. is the word to say. And for what purpose, to what purpose does that help your journey or your life? It doesn't, it has no impact on your life. And then for you to say, yes, it's my religion, but I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. I have a transgender grandson or I have a transgender cousin and I'm not like that. Well, honey, yes, you are. You still follow that. And quite yeah. frankly, that thing that you follow, they tried to give me three. Yes, I had three exorcisms attempted on me. Can you believe that? I mean, my entire book, and this is, you know, before we end, I just want to mm-hmm. read you one little paragraph from the beginning of my book. Sure. And the beginning of my book is really, the introduction of my book is really a telltale of where we're going to go because it's sort of lighthearted, it's kind of comical, and I have this way of writing where I'm, you're going to think I'm actually talking directly to you when 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 you read my book. How the hell did I go from being a shy, do no wrong, and deeply loved child to a grown woman disinvited to Christmas with the relatives? Well, it was just as well since I was already busy running from their plan of giving me a good old-fashioned Catholic exorcism. So that's the beginning of the book, like. What, why am I going to pull you into my book? Well, well, there it is right there. You know, like, you know, something happened and all of a sudden I'm, I'm the prize child. And then within an instant, I'm someone that needs an exorcism. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to have the prayer of St. Benedict put upon me over and over. I need to wear the scapula from the blessed mother and I need to have a crucifix above my bed and they, they need a priest to lay hands on me because my head's going to spin around and I'm going to vomit green shit out of my mouth. And, you know, it's just so tiresome to, to, to have to be, you know, I, I use the following bunch of, of things to explain this very eloquently. Somebody that's discriminated against, repressed, mm-hmm. persecuted, 
profiled, bullied, verbally assaulted, physically assaulted, threatened with death, and in the worst case, actually killed just because of the way you were born. Yeah. That's me. That's me. That's my life. And out of all of those groups, you know, unfortunately, the ones that are in the most peril right now in the world are transgender women of color. Mm -hmm. They're being disproportionately targeted and murdered. And just let me tell your audience something. They don't just get murdered. People, people that are trans that get murdered, get ritualistically murdered. There's something very tribal about the ideologies and bullshit we fed people for so long that they actually believe that makes them so terrified of that or so uncomfortable or, or insecure that they feel they need to not only kill that person, but burn them alive in their car or dismember them. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the things that happen. I know this yeah. is graphic, but this is what happens to people within my community because of this irrational hatred and it's disgusting. And it's, it comes from these stereotypes, these misinformation campaigns that are spread by organizations like, like um, Breitbart and, and Fox. And, and why is it that it's conservatives versus liberals on this issue? Because we're not an ideology. Yeah. We're not a political ideology other than we want equality. But my condition, my human condition isn't predicated on being a liberal yeah. or, or a conservative. <laughs> but yeah. the lines have been drawn in the sand. And you know what I found to be the one common thread? And it's unfortunate. And I'm sorry, folks that are listening to this. I'm sorry. But the one common thread, why Republicans or conservatives sort of don't understand this whole transgender thing versus people that are Democrats, independents, or, or, otherwise, or liberal it's religion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a far right reaching version of religion that teaches people that we are not valid. Mm-hmm. We're an abomination to God. It's fictitious. This is, yeah. you know, because the Bible wasn't written by God. First of all, you have to, you have to actually, I think what we should do. And, and I know people are going to get upset with me, but you know what? They've been wanting to go, put us through conversion therapy, which basically leads us down a path to suicide. Mm-hmm. They've been killing us purposely with this this nonsense of, of conversion therapy. And they've been calling us these things. They've been giving us exorcisms. They don't care that we commit suicide. They treat us like shit over and over again. And then they call us mentally ill. Why not turn the tables a little bit and then start advocating for laws for the uber-religious and call them delusional? And create laws that state you're mentally ill because you believe in some sort of bearded fat dude in the sky that's doing this and that. Now, I'm making fun of God that I do believe in right now, mm-hmm. right? So I'm being facetious at the same time because I do believe in God, but I don't believe in religion. And I think maybe what we ought to do is turn the damn tables for once in our lives and, and start, you know, having the American Psychological Association start saying that delusional delusional visions of, of there's this, you know, invisible entity that's dr- a driving force to discriminate against people. Maybe that's a mental illness all by itself. Mm-hmm. I wonder how fast things would change if we did stuff like yeah. that. I wonder how fast all of that would change. It's just, you know, these are the things that go through my head. I, I Maybe I have too much time on my hands. I don't know. <laughs> it just, it's, it's it, again, it's, it's easy to come from a place of privilege and and not be angry or be 
uncomfortable with it instead of being the persecuted that finally have a voice and a say and can actually in, in, say something about it instead of just having to put their head down and just go to work, go home and pray that no one, no one finds out. It's, it's just, it's, it evol- growth is, growth is painful. Even when you're growing up as a kid, like your legs, your arms, everything hurt as you grew into an adult. Growth is- Pause, pause. You just said something interesting there that made me think of this growth. We do, we do grow, right? We get growing pains. But what about people that are dwarfs? Mm-hmm. Remember in the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s, we had these things called dwarf, dwarf tossing competitions yeah. where we would take dwarves and actually exploit them and toss them across the room with these Velcro jackets on and exploit them for the novelty that they are. And it was gross. It was disgusting. And you know what? I had some friends that were dwarves and, and, you know, little people, I, you know, that's what we yeah. call them, little people. And, you know, the one common thread that, that I was always told by the few that I knew in Hollywood was that it's kind of shitty to be like this because we're, 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 we're typecast, we're stereotyped, and we've been exploited over and over again because, you know, you know, we get this Wizard of Oz sort of syndrome going on and people think it's okay because we're, we're okay with it because you don't see us crabbing about it, but you know what? We're crying. We're upset. We're little people. We can't do anything about it. And we have to live our lives in ways where you guys can't possibly imagine what it's like to have to try to reach for something and never be able to reach it and can't even use a regular ladder half the time because of the condition that, that I, that I have. And I'm like, Oh honey, I'm so sorry. And, you know, I totally empathized with people that, that were marginalized and, and discriminated against out of the brunt of a joke where people think it's okay to do that. So there's another example based on the word you said growth and, it, and, and you're like a catalyst for me speaking is, 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 is this, this whole idea that it's not just transgender people or gay people or black people or Hispanic people, you know, cultures. It's also all aspects of the human condition. Look at the R word. We used to use the R word all the time, right? We don't anymore because we know that's a despicable thing to do because these are just human beings that have been born into a state of the the diverse human condition, born that way, just like I was born the way I did, but suddenly people get diary of the brain because sex and gender are, are somehow involved in that instead of, you know, well, this person's brain just doesn't work the way. Well, my brain doesn't work the way that other people's brains work yeah. either. Look at autism. We actually had to get rid of certain things within autism and Asperger's syndrome because now it's called a spectrum disorder in the DSM, right? Because they found that there is this huge spectrum that autism isn't just you're either rain man mm-hmm. or you're not. Mm-hmm. There's this huge spectrum from zero to 100 in between you know, with different levels of severity and people are very easy, easy to pick up on that. But at the same time that they pick up on it, they're also very discriminatory. They also find anybody that's remotely different, the brunt of the joke. Yeah. And and yeah, it's, it's just the, it's lizard brain. It's the, it's the, it's unfortunately it's the Darwin part of our brain for survival 
that that sees that anomaly and and they try to distance it because they don't want it to be and it, it's it's hard it's we we've kind of gotten above a lot of it but there's still that baser reaction of this is this is not this is anomaly i don't want this anom- anomaly in my speed in my bloodline and so you kind yeah. of and so it becomes this awkward i guess paradigm that you have to you know that you love them no matter what, but it's still, like I said, a lizard brain reaction is, and that's why it's so hard to communicate because. Yeah, it's true. That That is what we, I mean, that is what we are. If you look at people that are deaf, which I can speak to, thank God I didn't get a speech impediment, right? Mm-hmm. Because those of us that are deaf and get a speech impediment, an impediment, look at all the times that people make fun of the way people that are deaf speak it becomes this nuanced parody if you will and people find it funny to talk like that but that's just the way we talk when we're deaf and and it's because we can't hear the syllables and we can't hear how it's sort of like when i was eight years old people ask me all the time amber rose washington you know they think it's appropriate to say what was your name when when you were younger but you know what i'm an author i'm a public figure i put myself out there for the whole world I'm unapologetic and I will absolutely tell anybody what my name was when I was birthed. And I don't care about it because it is who I was, you know, to somebody else, but it wasn't who I am. Right. So my name was Edward Ambrose Washington. So my middle name, Ambrose. So, I mean, it sounds real regal, real English, right? Mm-hmm. Like nobility sort of shit. Right. And I, I was like, Ugh, of all names. So from a very young age, I was comfortable with Eddie. Eddie was softer than Edward. Edward was sort of like ew and icky. And yeah. why is my name Edward? So formal. You know, Eddie was Eddie. Eddie was sort of kind of cool. But then I had this middle name that bothered the shit out of me, Ambrose. Now that was my grandfather's name, and I never unfortunately got to meet him. God bless his soul. Um, but you know, I never really liked the name Ambrose. I just you know, and it, and it's probably because of who I am. So what I did, I was eight years old, and like I said, I, at a very young age, I started writing stories, and I started writing music and doing all this other stuff, and I sat down and wrote my name on a piece of paper, and the word Ambrose stuck out. So phonetically, I started slowing down the word Ambrose. Mm-hmm. So if you phonetically start slowing down the speech of Edward Ambrose, 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 Ambrose. Amber Rose, there it is. There's my new name. So my new name is actually based on my middle name. It didn't come out of my ass. I did. I didn't. Yeah. I was eight years old, and that was my name, and that was that. And people still called me Eddie, but I knew my name was Amber Rose because it was there, and I knew it was my name. Damn it, because my mom's middle name was Rose. So this must be a sign from God, you know, that Rose and there's Rose. Mom understands this, whatever I'm going through. So isn't it appropriate that I have her middle name as yeah. well? You know, so it's it's kind of weird that 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 happened. But I mean, it's a little off topic, but I mean, it, it sort of goes into the whole diversity of, of people and trying to understand at a deeper level who we really are, rather than judging a book by its cover, making some rash decision based on that. And, 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 and disqualifying people on, on 
the, their cover doesn't meet my standards. So mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to be there. I mean, you know, if you see somebody that's been burned in a fire beyond recognition, but they survived yeah. and everything in their face, unfortunately has, has been uh, disfigured by the fire. You know, some people get nervous and, and reactionary towards that, you know, not me, not me. I, you know, that's just another person to me. Yeah. You know, we have to start learning not to judge a book by its cover because yeah. we're so multidimensional as, as, as beings. There's so much more to us, uh, you know, I, and that's why I tell my stories about the music business and all the people that I've worked with. And, you know, I, I, I'm in the Smithsonian. If any of you want to look me up, I have an exhibit in the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., because I did some philanthropic work for the children of Africa mm-hmm. about 20 years ago. And we were te- trying to bring advocacy to the world for these little girls in Ethiopia that would carry water, mm-hmm. dirty water at that, 20 miles, 10 miles in each direction to carry it back to their homes so they had drinkable water. It wasn't potable water, yeah. but that was all they had to drink was this water. And we wanted to bring, like, gee, maybe there's something the entire world can do to at least give these poor people water, potable, drinkable water that they can have in their lives rather than this mess that they're stuck in. So we created this exhibit this hour-long documentary, and you know, I was I was a music arranger for that, and so there's a lot of things that are that if I didn't just say that, you would have never known that I did that. Yeah. You know? And those are the types of things that I try to teach people, and that's why my new podcast, which is called The Journey Unscripted, mm-hmm. is going to take ordinary people that do extraordinary things. Yeah. And it's not going to be an interview podcast. It's going to be more like Dateline NBC. Yeah. It's more like an investigative journalism show, you know? That's awesome. Uh, thanks. But but and it's amazing too that you use your musical gifts because what better way to get people you you can't just sell them on words as much as you'd love to to have no. the music that to actually sway people. And to have that exhibit in the Smithsonian's is is an, is an amazing feat. It's not you just don't pick you know tones. You have to feel that, and it has to it has to fit what's being portrayed, so that you can you can generate the right emotion and things yeah. like that. Like there there is a lot of work in that, and to have a deaf ear and you know just even societally speaking, not just in music, but as society, to have that deaf ear to say, hey, this voice needs to be heard more than this the rest of the masses this voice right here the small 0.7 percent voice and here's that word again authentic it has to be authentic you know because when i first heard the song it sounded more like a luther vandross song it was sort of an r&b-ish sort Mm -hmm. of feel to it a very american vibe and i said i i said am i allowed to you know talk a little freely and they said of course you're arranging you know speak speak up now i said i think we're you know we need to be more genuine and authentic about this track and and think about the culture that we're talking about here and and instead you know maybe infuse world music or or if we will you know the african um instruments that were being used at the time and bring those into the mix. And, you know, that's when we got people from different institutions to come in and, uh, you know, these, these drummers that would come in that were from Africa. And so we, we transformed this song 
you know, from this Americanized sort of almost pop-esque into this really beautiful, absolutely gorgeous sounding song that, that fit the narrative of who these people were to a T because we infused them. We didn't appropriate, right? So you can, you can, you can do cultural appropriation, which is a bad thing. But what we did instead is we pulled them in yeah. and said, you're, you're now part of this. Yeah. And as, as you're part of this and we try to teach the world about what you're going through, we want them to see you holistically. Yeah. And that goes through your music, your language, you know, your culture, your hardships, your love, everything. And I just thought the whole project was beautiful. You know, it was, it's one of my shining things, you know, and some of the things in our lives that we love the most are the things we didn't get paid yeah. for, you know, and that's, to me, that's the shining example I want to leave to yeah. my children and everyone else um, listening is do something good for somebody. Yeah. That's what this world's about. Do something good for somebody. We can disagree on religion or anything else, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings that need to get through this ridiculously weird experience that we find ourselves in and the best thing you can do is just do something good for somebody yeah. and and don't be self-centered yeah i would you know? say you still you still got paid but it just wasn't it wasn't something monetary you were paid you got paid and you, there's different ways to be paid in life i grew spiritually with that yeah to tell you the truth i i had an enormous growth spurt in spirituality from that experience yeah. and it brought me closer to god or whatever we think God yeah. is, you know, the collective, the source, yeah. whatever. And it brought me closer to that, that ethereal sense of, of there's something else beyond us here that we just can't see. Maybe it's on a different vibration. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. It did, it did pay in many dividends, uh, much greater than any dollar could pay. Yeah. Also uh, back to your name, I was going to say that's such a, that's such a, a a monumentally awesome way, name, like to it's almost like an olive branch to your family, to yeah. e, to even you know to still say you know, even though we've had our differences, I'm still embracing the name you know, kind of embracing the name you gave me. I'm just taking I'm taking some minor tweaks to it, but it's still the name you guys get. I'm not choosing some completely different name out there. That you and act- not that there's anything wrong with no, choosing no, a, that, that, but it's- a lot of us actually do choose oh. a completely different name. But you're right. I mean, for me, it does kind of have a neat little, you know, there's this ambiance to it yeah. that 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 screams like, "Hey, I'm, res- I'm, I'm, st- I'm still- my mom respected me so much that I chose, and because I did choose, because you know, you know, phonetically changing my name is a is a decision, so." I chose to keep my mom's middle name in my name and by by just happenstance, synchronicity, whatever yeah. we want to call it. I you know, Amber Rose, you know, just yeah, it is a testament to my family that you know, we did a genealogy by the way, and we are we are related to yeah. the Washingtons, you know, the actual Washingtons. That's awesome. Not George, because George, of course, we know got married twice. His second wife, Martha, those kids died at uh, I believe it was called consumption. So um, it's tuberculosis or whatever. So he didn't have any children that made it past their teen years. Yeah. And so there is no lineage directly. But his brother John, he had several brothers, James and so on and so forth. 
we're we're related to George through one of his brothers, and I thought that was just neat. Yeah, you know. So we we're we're not we're not part of the nobility part of the Washingtons that made it to the presidency. We're part of the Washingtons that sort of, you know, live. We we live in the outskirts of the city, and, and nobody knew of us. Yeah. You 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 guys in the background shape the man that is on the one dollar bills. You're you're. Yeah. That's yeah. by either by either being the younger being the bullied or the older brother that bullied him. <laughs> somehow yeah. somehow it, y'all played a role in shaping George Washington <laughs> the man he became. I know I haven't had that conversation in a long time because my grandfather actually did the genealogy back in the forties, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember all the pieces of it. But it was really interesting to read it. It was actually created by a, a government organization that no longer exists. That's interesting. You know, the, there's a lot of that that happened between the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Oh, you know, different organizations within a government that existed that everybody used. They morphed into something else or they were collectively moved into a different department. And so that department no longer exists. So when we went to try to say, you know, where is this record? We actually had to go to a whole different branch of the government yeah. to, to, to find anything remotely close to that. But of course, now you have... 23 and me you have you know all these genealogy programs ancestry.com all that so you can find out interesting things about your family through that as well and of course we did that too because it was a fun exercise and same result so yeah somebody got it right along the way yeah so this has been an amazing conversation i Thanks. thank you for having me like being my guest i i really i love that like I said, you approach authenticity and that you embrace it and that you, you know, you you continue to support other people that are trying to find their authenticity as well. And, you know, so, you know, being such an open, you know, and welcoming person to everyone, not just, you know, transgender, but, you know, anybody that that may be, you know, feeling like they are not who they want to be. They can yeah. be that be that voice. That's that's an amazing testament. And. I would yeah, the, under, the underserved of the world, the marginalized of the world. Um, I stand with, with everybody that's ever felt marginalized. And, you know, quite frankly, I stand with the rest of the population, too. But, you know, my mission is to advocate for those that don't have a voice, that can't. You know, I want to be able to help, too. You know, I there's a lot of people already that are, you know, very famous that are doing this sort of work that I'm doing. But. I want to actually lend my voice to, because I think I come at it from another perspective. Yeah. And I think we need multiple perspectives to make people really latch on to that. This is a real thing, you know? Absolutely. So where can people like try to add you, but maybe may possibly get deleted. by? <laughs> I know uh, it's so hard, but I have a website. My official website is amberrosewashington.com. Amberrosewashington.com. One word. So you can find out more about me there, some testimonials, biography. I have, uh, you know, how you can buy my book. My book is available wherever books are sold. Uh, Most people seem to buy them through either Barnes & Noble or Amazon these days, but, you know, it's available everywhere. Um, And, you know, um, knock wood. Let me knock wood here. Hold on. There it is. Uh, I was actually... Uh, bumped up to number two bestseller status with that book in December. So I was really humbled. 
thank you so much. I was so humbled by that. And I never dreamt that, you know, this book would, would have that kind of effect, you know, in 37 different countries. I mean, I've been getting, I've been getting emails and, 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 and all sorts of conversations started from people telling me, you know, how they, they felt after they read the book. And some of them make you tear up right away because yeah. they're so heartfelt, you know, and that's really the purpose of the book is to not just advocate and, and have people understand through my experience of my life, what it is to be born transgender and then to go through your life in the unnatural state opposite of the way you really were. And then explain all those experiences, both sad and very funny, by the way, I have a lot of funny stories in the book as well. Um, so I want to make people laugh, cry, learn, and unlearn. That's another key component. I also want to un have people unlearn certain things that they've learned as well by using this book. And mostly, I want it to help people. It's not written for other transgender people, although a lot of transgender people are reading the book. It's written for the rest of the community to try to give them an understanding holistically of what it is. What is the trans experience? What is it really from a person that has had a lot of success in her life, a lot of adversity. What people don't know about on this show right now is not only was I deaf at five years old, by the age of 25, I was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer. So I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. And then by the, you know, older, the older you get, I had a massive stroke and it was caused by a congenital heart defect that they never found when I was, you know, born that I had a congenital heart defect, two holes in my heart. And those two holes, you know, as you get older, things work differently. And that caused me to have a stroke and lose the left-hand side of my body. Mm -hmm. I made a full recovery from that. And after having a full recovery, I finally was able to finish my transition, even though it's later in life, I was able to finish my transition. And what happened was all of my hair started falling out like I had chemotherapy mm -hmm. because the anesthesia and the surgeries I had on my heart were so, um, what's the word, traumatic to my system mm -hmm. that it caused a condition called telogen effluvium. Telogen effluvium is a condition where your hair follicles go into the resting state and that can become chronic. In other words, permanent. It's not always permanent, but it can become permanent. And for me, it was quasi-permanent. Right. And it was really disheartening because here I was finally becoming congruent and then losing all my hair. Well, yeah. I lost about 60% of my hair. It was actually very difficult for me. And so I ended up getting involved with these groups of, of women that wore wigs by John Renault and all these different companies. And I, I felt at home with these girls because, you know, they went through their own little things. You know, some of them had antigen effluvium, which is, you know, after you get chemotherapy, your hair starts falling out. And that's another yeah. type of effluvium, right? And so your hair falls out in chunks. And that's what mine was. Like I would touch my hair and clumps of it would fall out all at once. It was so devastating because it took me, it took me close to four years to grow my hair very long. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's all falling out right as soon as I'm about to have my confirmation surgery. Yeah. So it was really a devastating thing, but all in all, it was the more tragic things that I went through with my health conditions mm -hmm. that were a learning experience for everybody. And I go through them 
you know, with, with detail, with confidence, with lightheartedness, with humor, and with a little bit of sadness on, on things that occur um, to try to teach people that adversity is multifaceted as well. I was born incongruent, but I also had A, B, C, D, E, F, G alongside that I had to overcome as well, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, you guys can pick that up on Amazon. Just look me up. If you Google me, um, Amber Rose Washington, you sort of can't miss me. I, I only first <laughs> think five or six pages of Google. Um, so yeah, you, you're not going to miss that. So, you know, if you're interested in the book right now for the next week, I think it's seven ninety nine now, the, the ebook. Mm-hmm. The paperback book, which I prefer, I'm old school, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is still twenty dollars, but we've lowered the cost to seven ninety nine of the ebook, which is which is great. Yeah. Um so you know, if you want to pick that up, pick it up within the next thirty days, I believe we're gonna keep that going. And then it goes back up to I think ten ninety nine or something. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of savings there. Okay. Well definitely I'll definitely pass that on. Thanks. It was a pleasure being on your show. I have to tell you, I, you have this way of, of getting me to speak. Uh, you, you, you're a precursor to what I'm going to say next. It's almost like you're reading my mind. And I kind of like that sort of back and forth that we had going. Well, so I'm glad. Thank you, so much. thank you so much for being on here. And I, I appreciate it. It's it's taken me a 30 something, you know, almost 40 interviews now to kind of get to a process where I can go back and forth because I'm I have. I would say I'm somewhere on the spectrum, but I have a habit of, I used to have a habit when I started this of uh, 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 jumping in and it, oh. and so it's, this has kind of helped me as well learn to, as I talk to people like, okay, still give them space, still talking, don't say anything yet. And just kind of learn kind of to pace myself. I have to learn that too, because I am, I talk, 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 you know, I'm a big talker. And in fact, a lot of interviews I've been on, uh, the, the girl from CBS said this to me two weeks ago. She goes, you're an interviewer's dream because you just talk. I don't even have to ask you questions. I can just edit your words into mm-hmm. my, into my narrative that I'm going to talk about or, you know, so I was like, Oh, I always took it as a negative that I talk so much, yeah. <laughs> but, but thanks. Thanks for the compliment. No problem. Thanks for having me or thanks for ever being my guest. I appreciate it. <laughs> you're welcome. So that was Amber Rose. Wow. I was just awestruck by that interview. Even when I wrapped it up, like we spent two and a half hours discussing it and I was just moved and just so ecstatic with how well and how how much fun that was. I didn't edit a lot of it because I wanted to keep a lot of that in. So much of it was hitting me in the feels as far as being bullied and like outcast. And so I really resonated with her. I hope she's doing well. This was, that was back in March or April when we did that podcast. I would like to say March. Um, it's been a great, great 45 episodes so far. Very, very happy with this one. This is one of my faves. And just know what the experience is for some of these people. They are people. Don't get it twisted. 
these people deserve some modicum of respect. And even even though we don't mean it to be malicious at times, I feel sometimes things we say or do does kind of marginalize these people. And I'm guilty of it. And it's just one of those things where we have to kind of reject the lizard brain in our bodies that's telling us they're not the same and just open up our hearts and accept them. These are people's children. These are loved ones. These are sons and daughters, mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters. So try to be a little bit more thoughtful with the words. It's easy, especially as a comic, to let those words kind of take you into places that may or may not be the right thing. But I try, I try my best to not be a symbol of hate or hate speech or any of those things where you're promoting marginalization of another group or to try to try to come across as superior in any way. I thank you guys for listening. If you like what you hear, leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on most major plat- podcasting platforms and a lot of minor ones as well. Also, if you like the show, send me an email. Or if you don't like the show, send me an email and see what I could do better. Doing my best. Next week, we'll probably have another episode from my live podcast event at the Hops and Arts Festival at Pedicolus. And then maybe we'll do a comic, you know, from my reserves here. I also am getting ready to do an interview tomorrow with Melinda May Curtis, which will be an amazing conversation as well, as she's afraid of the dark. Also... I'll be headlining Hyenas in Fort Worth this coming Thursday, the 1st of July. So go out to Hyenas. It's a free show. Come out, support. I'd love to meet you. If I don't, haven't met you. If I have met you, I'd love to see you. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O, like water. You can also follow him on Facebook. Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns, that's G-U-N-B-U-N-S, as well as his website, gunnarolson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans 
S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there. And you can check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. <laughs>